1: Welcome to Brother Date twenty twenty. I'm Matthew. I'm Judah. I almost tried to do air horn sounds with my mouth.
2: That's uh,
1: that, yeah, those are the ones.
2: Uh just so everyone is aware, in twenty twenty, the Nexus that crossed through the galaxy. That was the last time it crossed through. And also Buck Buckeye was the key figure traded to the Gotham City bats. In a pivotal 12-player trade with the Crenshaw Monarchs, he had 34 home runs that year for Gotham City.
1: Now, remind me when Irish reunification is going to happen? It's either
2: 2021 or 2023. It must be 2023, I
1: think. Hey, wouldn't it be fucking Buck Wild if uh, these Brexit, Wild? If these Brexit idiots accidentally brought about Irish reunification? <laughs> In the year that TNG predicted, that would in that be... fucking throwaway line about terrorism,
2: it would actually be kind of disgusting. You know, I don't want I don't want any Brexit to get credit for anything, and I don't want these writers to get credit for anything.
1: It is true. It is true. Uh, it's a Star Trek week.
2: Yes. <laughs> in case that wasn't clear, it is a Star Trek week. It is chapter seventy-three.
1: Yeah, seventy-third edition. <laughs> Of this terrible project, it's not great. Everyone knows how this works. We're reviewing them in reverse order to the order they scored in. Ah, oh, fuck it. It's Voyager. We watch the Raven.
0: I'll
1: What was that? Uh, that's uh, the song "Raven" by Jen Grant. I thought you were saying like a river. Were you
2: saying like a raven? Yeah, like a raven. Because I thought you were saying like a river, and I was like, "That's that's only the second best song about a river." Because there's one about cooking up some beets that's much better. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm familiar with that one. Uh, all right, it starts with "It's coming on Christmas." Yeah, it's coming on
2: Christmas. Got a bunch of beets, throwing a pot, I'm gonna boil up some beets. Um, it's been so long since I watched this episode. Let's see if I can even remember anything in my notes. Um, <clears throat> Seven and Janeway are hanging out on the holodeck, and Janeway is trying to explain the concept of
1: work-life balance. But Yeah, when they built this set, obviously no one said, hey, we're not going to be able to get Jonathan Rhys-Davies every week. Most
2: of the time we're going to be in his workshop, and Leonardo ain't going to be around.
1: And we're just going to have to be constantly asking questions like, where's Poochie <laughs> right. when he's not on screen? <laughs>
2: Uh, Seven looks at one of Da Vinci's flying machines and has a dumb dream sequence about the Borg. I guess it awakened something in her credits.
1: Yeah, it was just, honestly, just a blacksmith short of Data's big dream sequence. It's
2: very similar, because we know he dreams about birds. For sure. Uh, it sounds like uh, this has been happening a lot. Uh, when we come back, they're talking to the doctor about it, and he thinks they're just hallucinations or flashbacks because it is Star
1: Trek and it is TV. And
2: that is always what they say.
1: He goes one better than that in that he says it. maybe it's PTSD. Yes, he, based on the trauma of being
2: assimilated, he thinks she could be having these weird flashbacks.
1: So I want to give them a little more credit than the usual. Oh, it's probably just a hallucination. And, one no those, one, and no one's worried about that at all. One of
2: those front of the mill hallucinations we all have that on a day-to-day basis. everyone always has. Yeah, um, yeah, she even specifically says in this scene that uh, she she's never had a hallucination, so she don't know if that's what it is. Right. Um, Janeway's negotiating with the old B- B-
1: Omar. Bomar? Yeah, they just say Bomar, but you're right. There is an apostrophe in there for science fiction reasons. They're trying to get through their
2: space, um, but these guys aren't really playing ball. They're really specific about uh, restricting their speed and a certain weird windy flight path that kind of makes it not worth going through their space at all. They could just go around it. Um, anyway, that's happening in the background. Seven goes to Neelix. To work on a food plan, per the doctor's orders. Yeah, it's orders. also it's
1: time for her to start eating solid food. Yeah, they
2: mentioned it last week or the week before. Um, I'm glad that's the continuity we're getting. Um, Neelix says uh, he's going to steamer up some mush of some kind and then promptly fries it up in a wok. <laughs> he
1: immediately stir fries it. It's very bad.
2: <laughs> then he, uh, he teaches her how to eat and swallow and everything. This is going to be a long fucking episode, by the way. Um, she has another flashback, and a piece of Borg tech pops out of her hand, and she goes on a rampage.
1: Um... Uh, she... Okay, I'm already interrupting way too much. She learns to eat and swallow and everything, and she never once yells soft or hot Yeah, <laughs> <taste. laughs> No,
2: nothing good, yeah. <laughs> smell! <laughs> she doesn't yell smell or anything. Um... Some security try to slow her down, but she's adapted to the phasers already. She steals a phaser rifle herself, and shit gets really real. She shoots them a fox team and steals a shuttle, and you know they don't have that many of those. (laughs) Unless they have an infinite
1: number, it's hard to say. They never seem concerned about it.
2: She busts out of the shuttle bay and heads into Bomar space, so they've fucked up this relationship too now. Uh, The Bomar are very mad, and they beef up their military presence and refuse to help Voyager get Seven back. Uh, the doctor says all of his good work is being undone and her Borg shit is all coming back. But somebody can just give her a
1: hypo of a solution he whipped up or something. Yeah. They, by the way, they couldn't figure out how to do this, how to have them figure out what's going on with her after they left the ship. So for the first time ever, someone looked at her transporter pattern when she left. And he's doing all kinds of diagnoses based on that. Mm hmm. Uh, It really is, it really opens a huge can of worms for the purpose of we want to tell the story in this particular order.
2: Uh, Yes, exactly. Um, So he's got this, uh, he whipped up a substitute and it's in a hypo, but someone has to get close enough to her to use it. So um, there's going to be a teepee and two vork commando raid. They're going to chase her in another different shuttle and Janeway even authorizes uh, Seven's death should this mission fail. Because they don't know what she's up to. She's flown into Bomar space, and she's been on a rampage, and who knows?
1: Oh, and also, don't forget, Janeway fucking loves killing, making making death life and death <laughs> decisions for people. More than even just killing, she loves special kinds of killing,
2: like executions or assassinations. She loves it's real targeted killing.
1: It's like she loves making the tough call. Yeah. Oh, she
2: wants everyone to know at all times she's not afraid to make the tough call, just because she's a lady.
1: Yeah. So, um,
2: anyway, uh, so anyway, they head off in that shuttle after she shoots up some Baalmar ships, um, but then she gets tracked down by TP and Tuvork. They can beam through her shields, I guess, but, uh, Tuvok beams in and immediately gets his ass kicked by her, and he gets fucking neck pinched, so he's real yeah. embarrassed, I assume. Yeah, that
1: one, that one sucked for him.
2: And their plan fails. Uh, Tuvok wakes up and has a very rational conversation with Seven, who seems pretty fucking lucid. So, I guess this wasn't an involuntary rampage.
1: It's not. It's not Data in Brothers, where he like he fucking shuts down and just goes into homing mode.
2: Yeah, she she
1: definitely has a compulsion all through the the whole conversation, but she's very but awake. She is. She's still there.
2: Yeah. Uh, She says she has to rejoin the collective, she won't assimilate to Vork, and she says to pass on her thanks to Janeway for, like, trying with her, but, like, she's gotta go back to the Borgs. Um, She thinks she's tracking a Borg signal, homing signal of some kind. Um, Tuvok seizes on this to prove that she's not really Borg anymore, because she's got all that human compassion or whatever. Uh, Janeway figures out from Seven's logs, because they go through her diary... That she's been seeing a raven in her dreams, and does the whole look off in the distance with a great new idea
1: thing? Yeah, but uh, I don't know. They were afraid we wouldn't catch that look, so they have to make Harry Kim go. What? What's happening? What are you? Where are you looking, though? What? Oh, you, you got an you, idea, hey, don't you? This is uh, it's where uh, it's Fleabag. <laughs> uh, we're doing Fleabag season two. Where did you, you go?
2: Yeah, who are you talking to? Are you talking to? You go break the fourth wall. Um. She goes to look for that the ship that Seven was taken from as a child, the Raven. Um, Seven and Tuvok get to the source of the signal that she's been trying to reach, and they go down to the surface of some moon where they find the Raven. And Seven hallucinates a lot and acts like a little kid, and it's not great. It's
1: not the best. She's acting like, "Daddy, that she does in Papa." It's like, yeah. oh, boy. Papa is the worst Ugh. for me for some reason. It's not... Maybe it's because I've never met a human being who referred to their father as Papa. <laughs>
2: it's not good seeing a grown woman do it for sure. No. In heels and a cat suit.
1: Um... Again, with her little rabbit mouth that already makes her look vulnerable. <laughs>
2: yeah. Voyager shows up just as the Ba'omar start firing on the raven from space. Um, for, uh, Janeway opens fire on them and knocks out their weapon systems while two fucking seven escape the crumbling raven to the safety of a green screen. And they are beamed up by TP on his shuttle. Uh, They escape a fleet of Ba'omar ships and all is well, I guess. Uh, seven and Janeway chatted up back on the holodeck and we are out of this fucking thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Maybe this one is about something like, uh, in order to recover from a trauma, you need to confront it. Okay, like we are in the exact same space on this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, they in the beginning, Seven is like not really interested in learning how to be human. Janeway's trying to teach her to, um, to do that Lionel Richie video, mm-hmm. and she's like this no, all of this is useless this is all wasted time right yeah she like like you guys throws so a clump of clay onto
2: the nose right. on the sculpture just like who gives a shit
1: and in general her role in i mean she's only been here a few episodes we'll talk about it i think the story is too early okay but uh her role she, she's had a, been a mouthpiece for listen it's not that bad being a borg like You guys all make it seem awful, but you're trying to force me to be human. But one thing she hasn't done is confront the means by which she became Mm the boy. And that's what the work that this story does, right? Yep. So... Uh, again, generalizing that out to, uh, the idea that you have to confront your trauma. You can't just pretend it didn't happen. I'm fine with it. I don't think it's a hot take, and I don't think it's even something that's necessarily a science fiction-y take, so I only gave it a four. We had the same take. I gave it a five.
2: A four is also perfectly reasonable. I had a trauma cannot be healed until it's explored. I feel like we do something like this every few weeks. Like, there's somebody that has this take, some episode that has this take. It's a seven, yeah. It's definitely a seven episode. She insists she's not scared of the Borg, and she needs to rejoin them, um, but she keeps having these scary dreams, what she's scared of. She eventually tracks them to her old ship, where she was assimilated as a child. After realizing that's where her fear comes from, maybe she can begin to move forward, but we don't get to see that part, so we'll have to see in the future, if that's what really happens. But there's a lot of talk about imagination in this episode, and I'm not sure if they wanted us to take anything away having to do with that.
1: But I mean, the fact that it begins and ends in Leonardo's workshop, it, it does suggest that, that that's a sort of a theme of the episode, but mm-hmm. I think it kind of disappears in the middle. I agree. Um, we got
2: Ben's notes this week. Uh, he also gave it a five, but he had... To discover who we are, sometimes we have to explore who we used to be. It's like one notch more general than the take you and I have for it. Yeah, and he's focused more on the part where she just had to remember what it was like to be a kid, to remember what it's like to be human or something like that. Yeah. Uh, And flipping around, he had a five on execution. He said, oh, great hallucinations. Yeah, that's never a good start. Um... The reassimilation of seven is a good plot line that makes sense. seven stuff's good, the rest of the crew stuff is not. I have a feeling that'll be a recurring theme. <laughs> it's clear that Jerry Ryan's one of the better actors right away right away, as well as probably the best character as well, since they haven't ruined her promising start yet. I would yeah, it, I would say uh, she seems to be trying harder than everyone else for sure.
1: <laughs> she does like she wants to keep this job. Mm-hmm. And um Whereas, you know, Beltran maybe doesn't care whether he keeps the job or not at this point. He's like, they're still going to pay me for the first three seasons.
2: Honestly, there are two kinds of actors in Star Trek, and most everybody falls into camp one, which is I'm going to be on the circuit for life. Yeah. I have done Star Trek, and from now on, I can get paid to go to conventions until I die. I don't have to work ever again after this. I'm never going to be an actor again. I don't care. She, I think, wanted to have an acting career. And so she was trying to act, I think. And there are only a few other people like that in the show who either because they already had an acting career beforehand or because they had ambitions, like decided to actually go for it. Most of them just go, ah, fuck it. I'm good for life.
1: Or should maybe in her case, part of it was like, this catsuit is ridiculous. <laughs> I don't, I want to at least make it seem like there was some other reason they hired me that was not tits.
2: Yes, and i i mean we'll get into it probably a hundred times moving forward but right now i would say she's trying harder than she's succeeding but at least she's trying
1: yeah uh well yeah again the the part where she regresses i did not think was successful no um i gave it
2: a 3 in execution i was not as high as ben was i wonder if the writers thought seven's borg past would be some kind of gold mine an endless <laughs> well of story ideas they could play with. Um, but in and this that's episode... Why they shot
1: their wad on this one so early.
2: <laughs> yeah, in this episode it really felt like a burden. Like, are we constantly going to be going through the shit where her Borg self begins to reassert itself? Like her Borg tech or her Borg feelings or whatever, and then they have to convince her to be a human at the end? Because I feel like that's all we've done so far. And it already feels old. Yeah. Like, she's been here for three or four episodes and that's the only thing we've done, and... I'd be much more interested in her taking steps to become more human than constantly regressing. Though they could obviously fuck that up too because they're bad
1: writers. Um, It is, and also they don't... This is a story, again, that as long as at the end they convince her to be more human, to be human again, that it's a reset. Yeah. Whereas... Taking steps to be more human is building uh, continuity, which we know. They hate that. Not not even necessarily the writers. I think it was the studio was like, no, people have to be able to tune in and watch whatever episode and not have to think.
2: And that's why, I mean, isn't that why we got the never, the never ending saga of Hoshi's confidence or whatever? (laughs) She never can conquer it because she has to be in that same state of trying to get her groove back (laughs) forever.
1: I, I mean, it seems like it. Like, Enterprise is fine with doing plot continuity and just throwing a fucking recap at the front of every episode, but they don't, there aren't really any character arcs going on. Yeah. Unless unless you think whatever's happening to T-Pole is an arc of some kind.
2: But it's kind of not. And then same thing with Trip. Like, Trip isn't either. Trip is, um, he, well, he had two stages. He had pre-his sister dying and post-his sister dying, but he doesn't seem to have worked out all of his sister dying issues. I mean, even in this last episode, he was still doing it.
1: Yeah, no, but even, like, outside of the Expanse, T-Pole has been, uh, I guess when I talk seriously about her character development, I probably shouldn't call her (laughs) T-Pole. That's what she's called. But she's been uh, becoming more open-minded towards humanity, right? She's Mm -hmm. been breaking away from Vulcan dogma slowly and stuff like that. And uh, I don't know. Discovering how to be Spock, maybe, is what her arc is. Yeah. Anyway, we, Enterprise is next. We don't need to... Yeah, yeah,
2: it yeah. Early. Uh, Dream sequences. Um, You know, it was bad enough when we had a two-year-old on the ship that everyone thought was sexy, but now we gotta get this busty chick in the cat suit talking like a small child.
1: Not only talking like a small child, but this is, again, this is the week where she starts eating solid food. Mm-hmm. We and gotta see her chew been, and
2: swallow and all kinds of weirdness. And
1: they've been through that a couple of times, and it's, like, uh, definitely definitely a reminder that she is, uh, as a human, she's a baby.
2: Yep. Good thing we put her in right. heels and a catsuit.
1: Let's definitely sex her way up. The fuck is Although, happening in this writer's room? This, is, this week is her new cat suit, with less of a corset.
2: Oh, I didn't even realize she'd changed outfits. I wasn't paying attention.
1: It's still absolutely skin tight, but apparently she had breathing problems in the first one. I would believe that. So I'm just, my question,
2: I mean, it's it's a question that I guess it answers itself. What's going on in this writer's room is they are weird pervs who are yep. interested in things that they should not be. Yeah, for sure. Um, I can't see past the horrible decisions they made about her outfit. I ask related questions about it 15 times per episode, so it's always a real miss for me. Anyway, it's a three. It, it makes no sense and this shit goes all the way back to troy mm-hmm. except then they have a guy come on the show and say yeah. what the fuck are you doing wear yeah, a real uniform season
1: six and then she gets to wear the regular uniform yeah
2: and then she wears it for a while and then she starts going back to the old uniform and you're like I, you guys you fixed it like you fucked up in the beginning and then you came back and you fixed it oh we're gonna fuck up again and then of course Teepole, they're still fucking up in the odds because they put her right into a cat suit, you know, like the Vulcans wear, because it's logical. I yeah yep mm. Yep.
1: Mm. yep. And then in Deep Space Nine, they just design Bajoran uniforms so that Kira's sort of in a cat suit, <laughs>
2: right? They're very, uh, it's a very one piecey kind of thing.
1: Yeah, it's an extremely form fitting uniform. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so it's, it, the, uh,
2: yeah. Yeah not, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah not great anyway it's not this episode's problem in particular but all the stuff about her acting like a kid and having to watch her learn to eat i was just like what's happening what are we doing so yeah just a three for me what about you uh
1: i mean i agree i gave it a three i so i think it's too early for this she's been on board for p- three episodes mm-hmm. if, if you don't count the ones where she's an actual borg and now she's already going back to full Borg mode, and we find her old ship where her parents died, and we relive Yeah, What that timing, thing. huh? It's Out of like, the
2: entire galaxy, or yeah. at least the entire span where she could have realistically been assimilated, they happen to run into her now, or that
1: old ship well, now. Not only that, but Cass yeeted them 10,000. I'm sorry. Cass yoked them 10,000 <laughs> light years. Oh,
2: I didn't actually know there was a uh, uh, past It's tense. controversial. <laughs> okay. Uh,
1: but Kess yoked them ten thousand light years in her last act of ever being mentioned on the show yeah and uh they happened to land pretty close to where the ship was assimilated. it's very it's very lucky yeah um anyway, it's just it's too far too fast like <clears throat> there it feels rushed that's all in fact, I remember when.
2: Uh, DS9 did the episode where we got to see Kira and Odo meet on DS9 back when it was being, it was Nor and it was run by Dukat. I remember when they did that, at like episode 27 or something, and we were like, that's actually pretty good timing.
1: Yeah, like, it was about the right we had some idea who these people were. Yeah,
2: don't throw it at us like fucking five episodes in. Give us a little bit of time to learn who the characters are and stuff, and that way when they go back and do this revisiting of the olden days it, it makes more sense or whatever. But,
1: but it also means stuff like she can't have come to terms with any of these feelings beforehand, so she's just uh, on autopilot trying to get to the Borg because until she gets there and realizes what's going on, she really is not afraid of them at all. Whereas if they'd done this story a little later and she was already more ambivalent about the Borg, yeah, maybe just from seeing Borg in action or something like that, uh, then there could have been some emotional stuff for the 20 minutes when she's on the run. Yeah. Instead of she's just a cipher she's just a robot and all the emotions are i mean there are not there aren't any it's just can we catch her right yeah
2: but even then and it's... and
1: janeway's tough decision to authorize a shoot down
2: and even then it doesn't make any sense because like because then when we do run into her she seems totally reasonable and you can have a conversation with her yeah. and she seems like she's thinking the whole thing through so then what was the part where she seemed like a maniacal robot i don't yep the, i don't, just don't know what her
1: at the end of the season when we when we knew her and she'd made some steps. Well, my fear,
2: if I was watching this in real time, would be that we're going to have to do this every few oh, weeks. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Why so, Why
1: would you not believe that this was going to keep coming? Like, the, at the end, the doctor says some nonsense about how he's removed the thing. So no more homing beacons will get to her. But, like, apparently she can just regrow her shit. Yeah. So that's a th- Like, next week it'll just be she got a weird alien radio signal and started regrowing her shit.
2: Yep. Got would keep that hype all on fucking standby.
1: substitute the substitute that he whipped up Um, there's a lot of hallucination scenes in this one and you know I hate that mm-hmm. but it's especially bad because l- most of the way through the episode Janeway reads from her diary mm-hmm. her description of the hallucinations yep. and it's a much more powerful scene
2: yeah because then it seems like, like something that she's been coping with that no one really knew about or something
1: exactly Exactly, it's like seeing them is dumber than hearing her description of whatever images have been haunting her. Mm-hmm. So, it really, it really showed uh, what a mistake these
2: hallucinations are. And as long as, as then, we're redoing it, we can then also take Harry Kim out of that scene because. i mean well you know what never mind i got got lots of notes about it in characterization he's
1: been learning borg alphanumeric code (laughs) so they needed him to do the translation i don't know why the computer couldn't do it.
2: you know he's in he's in he's in the logs a lot he's in her diary a lot he wants everyone to know that he does mention Um, fuck anyway
1: it's in characterization it's fine um and then there are lots of ways they could have slipped seven off the ship Without all of the slow moving, ineffective Federation security stuff that was neither tense nor dramatically necessary.
2: It wasn't, yeah, it
1: wasn't good. Tuvok and two other dudes post up at, an, at a turbo lift, and the way they framed it, I was like, she ain't in that turbo lift. <laughs> yep. This is, she, we're doing a Roga Danar here.
2: But nowhere near as cool.
1: <laughs> but no, instead, she just stepped out and wiped everybody out. And it was like, oh, there's no Well, cool, you guys suck. Tuvok, you suck.
2: No cool ambush in the fucking cargo bay where Worf anticipates his tactics and just ambushes him in the dark or whatever.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, because the corridors on all these ships' sets are 15 feet long, uh-huh. everything is uh, done at the standard Federation jog every time, yeah. but at least in the Roga Danar one. They put something in, and this is nothing but a waste of five minutes. And the
2: Roganar episode is the one of the few where you see someone run at a full clip when Worf runs down that, that corridor to save him from murdering Smiley and his team. Worf actually sprints in that one.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm a three. Uh, and if we flip around to world building... Ben is all the way up to a five, and he starts it off with a really strong point. It's so strong that I almost interrupted you during the read with the same point where he says, These, Bomar, must have heard of Voyager. Yeah, No weapons, no scans, no exploration.
2: Now, I would have been much happier if they had said, We we heard of you.
1: We know about you. We
2: know what you fuckers do. You show up everywhere and you try to blast people. You're lucky we didn't fucking kill you. As soon as we figured out who you were. So, yeah, you can come through our space, but you got to go warp three. You can't have any weapons or shields and you got to take these paths and we got to submit to searches and all this shit. Instead, they just say all of those things. You have to do this, 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 and this. And it makes it seem like they are unreasonable.
1: Exactly. As opposed to uh, you guys have. I, I know you've only been in this part of space for four weeks, but you already have a reputation.
2: I mean, honestly, if they had heard of them, their starting position would have been no.
1: It's true. No, no. you Keep may going. not
2: come to our space. Thank you.
1: I mean, we're saying no, but we know you're just going to fucking try to yeah. ram your way through anyway. The answer's no, and we have our whole fleet here. Please go away. Yeah, uh, he says once again, the aliens are a hundred percent right, and Voyager and crew are a hundred percent wrong. Yeah, and um, he also, it is, it is one of the worst, uh, most. Uh, illusion-breaking moments when Seven shuttle just wrecks five of these ships. Uh-huh. And then it's like, it seems like Voyager shouldn't be worried about the whole fleet if the shuttle messed up five of them bad yeah, boys. Yeah,
2: and I wasn't clear if she was doing special Borg stuff or if the Bomar just fucking suck. But to be real, Janeway doesn't seem to care that much about it when she flies her ship in there either.
1: Yeah, it's true. So... Uh, I gave it the standard three. Okay. I did notice a couple of things that Ben didn't point out. Uh, they talk about tritanium decay. That's how they get the... Uh, how long the raven has been there. Okay. Uh, I don't know what that is, but it doesn't sound good. <laughs> right. We know there's a lot of tritanium in these things. We, Maybe it shouldn't decay.
2: Didn't um, didn't Riker tell us that's what Federation corridors are made out of? In uh, the right. Geelum episode?
1: Yeah. And isn't Data's... Spine made out of titanium and Duranide. Yeah, he's, maybe that's
2: not right. It's Corp, I don't remember what it is. Yeah, he's got yeah. some different ones.
1: Um, uh, we we learn about the Raven and all about Seven's assimilation. Um, apparently, the, after the Borg assimilated one Talaxian ship, they'd had enough. They did not go bother going after the whole species. So, uh-huh. makes you think about what they're doing. Uh, in uh three or four episodes when we talk about TNG. Yep. But I guess sometimes they're like, nah, we got it.
2: <laughs> we know what these guys are all about, and it sucks.
1: It's cool, though. They don't even have good resources.
2: But I wonder if they... Did she say how long ago they got them? I don't know if it was before or after their giant space war that ruined his planet. It,
1: it may have well been after the space war. Yeah, and they war. just went, oh, these guys are nothing. They said Kess is aged 500 times. I have no idea how old Neelix is. Uh, yeah, hell no. Yeah. So, but apparently they do partial assimilations um just the standard three for me uh i agree
2: uh the bomar and everything about negotiations with them um they're pretty worried about anybody getting in their business and they track every particle that enters their zone of control they say um talaxians are species 218 the borg took 39 of them once upon a time um they have a dense musculature and it makes them excellent drones so i don't know why they didn't keep picking them up maybe they don't care about what kind of drones they got um Those Borg shields on that shuttle are good as hell, just ramming everybody out there.
1: Those are special Borg shields, right? Because she's just running into people. I mean, it's a good question. She does do a straight ram, and it appears to have no effect on the shuttle. Yeah,
2: and uh, that's why it's so confusing when Tuvok just beams through it later. Anyway, the Vulcans are species 3259. Uh, The Raven made it to the Delta Quadrant 20 years ago. Seven's parents were well known crackpots in the Federation. Yeah. Isn't that the isn't that what Janeway's basically saying when she says so they were
1: it's a such a weird scene at the end. Known for their unusual where, views or whatever she says. Unconventional. Like you, yeah, you you just touched on it, but they're back in Leonardo's workshop and Seven's like I've been starting to think about what might have been different if I hadn't been assimilated and I'd just been raised by my parents. Mm-hmm. And then Janeway's like, well, you should read about them. We have all kinds of shit about them in our database. They were real weirdos. Yep. No one is weirdos. And and Seven's answer is like, maybe someday I will. What? (laughs) Yeah, I'm not interested. What?
2: Nah, that sounds boring, though. Hey, writers, what? (laughs) She's not ready, dude. She only just learned how to eat. All right? (laughs) She's not ready to read about her parents yet. She's also not ready for the wild thing, so don't try to make her.
1: Uh content's under pressure.
2: She just might blow. And then the, uh, you added the Tritanium Decay thing. I didn't have that. Anyway, it's a three for me as well.
1: <clears throat> uh, what about characterization?
2: Uh, I was a four. Seven doesn't understand hobbies. She insists she still does not have any reason to fear the Borg. She thinks cool small talk is how many of your species the Borg took and what made them good as hell drones. At least it was complimentary. I think she was trying to pay a compliment to Neelix. She's like, you guys are like fucking beefy, and that made you really good drones. So good, good, good job.
1: Uh, I don't. I forget who did I give best actor to in this one. I'll just peek ahead real quick. Um, that is a. It's a weird scene. It's Neelix's first scene with Seven, mm-hmm. and she leads with that nonsense. Yeah. And then for a minute, he's like real cool. Yeah. To her, all of a sudden, like it's it's good acting that I think it's it's not a big moment. It's, it's small a good touch. little moment where, yeah, exactly. where Because, again, Neelix is one of the stronger actors on this I think show. He said something unfortunately,
2: like, I think he said something like, oh, yeah, I, uh, I didn't realize that. Exactly. Like, he didn't know that any Talaxians had ever been taken by the Borg. Yeah. And he's not super happy about it, but he doesn't really know what to make of her telling no. Him
1: but that. No, but it takes like a solid 90 seconds before he's back in full Neelix mode with her. Mm-hmm. And then teaching her how to chew and all that, but uh, that was a that was a good that was a good little moment there. But and, and again, it's kind of like she didn't know better than to say that. Yeah, thing. she thought that was and a good I th- thing. To I say. think she may have meant that was a uh, meant it as a compliment.
2: Uh, turns out she does fear the Borg and just had to like get there, figure yeah. it out. Uh, um, Janeway's not good at explaining things like relaxation, hobbies, imagination. She's just like not. It is efficient though. When, she, when Seven's like, it's not efficient. She's like, no, it it is. It's efficient to not work. Um, <laughs> or uh, I hate Voyager and I want to be far away from it whenever I can be. Yeah, that's why I come here. Um, she won't give up on Seven in the early in the episode and thinks she was making progress in her short time on Voyager, but she does authorize her death if she can't get her back under control. Harry's wild predatory behavior from last week. It's at least getting him snark from Balana. Yeah. Balana was not nice to him at all, and I did not blame her because
1: he's gross. But she was shitty about it, but I didn't get disgusted. I wasn't sure what emotion she was putting into that one.
2: Uh she was also doing a look off the screen and try to look cool thing the whole time. Right.
1: Um cuz she didn't say that's nasty, she's a baby. No.
2: No, she seems more grossed out that he would try to do it with a Borg, I think.
1: Yeah. Um, At least they didn't make it like, oh, she's jealous oh, of God. Seven of Nine.
2: You know what? They probably wrote in the script, she's shitty because she's real jealous like women are. And then she just <laughs> played it different.
1: Yeah, it's probably. You're <laughs> right. It probably was the, the, the direction. In she's jealous like my ex-wife. Uh, I forget, though. This one might have been directed by LeVar Burton. I didn't write it down, no. but I think... It, that's not something our boy Lavar would do.
2: Anyway, Harry's still creeping around in her personal logs and bragging that he's all up in him, This fucking guy. Yeah. It's a character episode, and the seven stuff might be enough to score points. If I had any confidence, it wouldn't all be undone in the next episode that focuses on her when we do this all again.
1: Uh, so, I'm sorry, what did you score it? Four. Four. Okay. Um, uh, Ben's a Four. The yeah, he points out. He also pointed out that the it seems like the writers don't cook. Yeah, because no one caught that stir frying thing. Although I presume the writers didn't. It's probably not in the script what he does with the food.
2: (laughs) No, but it's so dumb. He finishes saying, "I'll steam up some of this dumb fucking mush for you," and then he just immediately puts it right into a wok.
1: Yep. It's very bad. Um, I don't really consider that a character problem, though. No. So I gave it a five. Uh, at this point in the series, Janeway is just a wild woman, huh? Yes. Well, I, th- I think, remember, the turning point was when
2: she got to um, hang out with uh, Sulu and the old boys. And she talked about how much she wanted to be a space pirate like the old captains were. Yeah. And then since then, she's just been fucking buck wild.
1: Yeah, for sure. Anyway, in this one, she does not hesitate to violate Bomar Space to retrieve her pet project. Yep. Shooting all kinds of people or whatever so that she can keep teaching Seven of Nine how to sculpt.
2: When the people of this part of space form their giant alliance against Voyager, (laughs) like, who will she have to blame? Then the Bomar join their ranks.
1: Legitimately, there should be an episode Mm -hmm. where she says, well, we can't turn around. We're being followed by ships from (laughs) all kinds of
2: races. (laughs) Yeah.
1: They call themselves the Alliance of the Willing. <laughs> that's right. I don't know what that means. Yeah. Um. I thought that Tuvok seemed unusually understanding when Seven was going through her powerful and complicated emotions. I'm not saying that he shouldn't be understanding, mm. but I don't think he has been in the past.
2: Well, he lost his mentee, and maybe yeah. he's looking for a
1: new one. No, that's probably what it is. Yeah. And then, of course, Seven has to confront the violence of her assimilation, etc. That's definitely character work. I was, again, I was unsure what the end of this episode is telling us about where she landed. Like, why doesn't she want to read about her parents? Yeah. So, I don't think they, there's necessarily a full success, but uh, it's definitely some character stuff. So, I gave it a five.
2: Okay. Quick ones.
1: Yeah, uh... Ben uh, just points out that her boobs get in the way of using that phaser rifle.
2: I didn't notice, but I'm not surprised.
1: Uh, I guess maybe... maybe, I I haven't really seen, but I guess people don't... Don't really... There's no stock on a phaser rifle that you can pocket in your shoulder, right? Uh, It's just kind of two hand (laughs) grips that you hold in front of you. I think that's right, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um... I thought it would have been nice if sculpting had been established as a hobby of Janeway's rather than, oh, by the way, I do this all the time.
2: I come, I sneak into the workshop when the master's away and I sculpt
1: because I hate my
2: team and I don't want to be near them.
1: It's like when Picard is painting that naked lady and gets sassed by Data. (laughs) And then it's like, "That's that's a fun scene when he gets sassed, but we've never seen Picard paint before.
2: Yeah, you can't just give him every hobby. He, yeah. He's such a renaissance man, he rides horses and he fences and he paints and he listens to fucking, uh, fucking classical music and he loves Shakespeare and he's like, alright, fuck. We get it.
1: Archaeology, okay, I know. Um, One of these two Bomars I was getting real Garrick vibes from, but it wasn't Garrick.
2: <laughs> no, by the way, I also looked up who the Bomar were in case I recognized either of the dudes and I did not.
1: Yeah, I was like, I don't know, man, I'm getting, I had has got Garrick
2: thing. eyes or something. There was something that was familiar, but I didn't recognize them.
1: I assume that Tom Paris is responsible for putting Harry's crush on Seven on blast, but do you think it was just to Balana in a private moment, or do you think the whole fucking ship knows? I mean, he's tell- definitely now Janeway knows either way.
2: Could TP be so naive that he would think if he told her it wouldn't, she wouldn't, she wouldn't, she wouldn't spread that around?
1: you don't know how to have a girlfriend. Okay.
2: Oh, that's right. He's bad news. Yeah. Yeah, you know he don't You don't, don't have long-term relationships because he just he's a drifter and he just moves on. You wanna stay away from me, Harry Gosh? Oh, jeez, Harry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really I could,
1: like I really like this Tom Perry. I wish I could have a long-term
2: do. relationship with a girl like Libby. Oh gosh. <laughs> ah Harry. <laughs> Your boobs look so good though.
1: Oh, man. Um, otherwise, everything else has come up hallucinations. Uh, how, how well the shuttle performs against the Bomar ships. Yeah. I gave best actor in this one to Seven, although I thought that scene with Neelix was good. And worst actor to Torres teasing Kim, because I did not understand what emotion she had. <laughs>
2: yeah. uh, I got a couple.
1: Oh, let's have them.
2: Why does Janeway need to go to Leonardo's workshop to play with Clay?
1: <laughs> she could do it with real clay in her quarters she could
2: do it in her quarters she could do it just on like a nothing on the holodeck she could do it just ah. with the grid she could do it in like a, a fake clay clay place what are those called she could be doing ghost she could be doing she could be yeah she could make it a sex thing why not
1: yeah Ugh. she could be Uh, she could be in the classroom where Tony Hale has one rule no ghosting <laughs> that's right <laughs>
2: and then when winger gets kicked out of glass he starts singing the song through the door (laughs) such a good episode and the doctor who's there who definitely is a cheater and learned how to do clay sculpture because we find out in the end he's got a crazy mom issues i fucking love community so much
1: the first three or four seasons of
2: community are super solid lord because the first 15 minutes you're supposed to think winger is crazy That Jeff is crazy and that he can't handle someone being good at something that he's not good at. But then you find out just in the last minute that that guy actually is a crazy cheater. Yep. And then he comes back in the zombie episode. Anyway, (sighs) um, I know I've already talked about this a lot, but they gave her those fucking heels (laughs) that meld form and function.
1: That's the stupidest shit.
2: And it is very odd to watch her go around the ship doing a model walk with scary music playing in the background while she's holding yeah. that phaser rifle. They couldn't give her like some standard Starfleet style boots or maybe some fucking Nike's or something.
1: Uh they gave her fucking big heels. I just the 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 producers' hands were forced at the start of it. Deep Space 9 when they moved to those slouchy ass scrubby jumpsuits. Yeah. If they just stuck with the TNG uniforms because the DS9 people weren't, you know, like, let's say this is a universe where they weren't uh, super paranoid about establishing a new brand, mm-hmm. their own brand, and just stuck with the TNG uniforms, which are reasonably form-fitting even in the later seasons, they wouldn't, they probably wouldn't have had to do this dumb shit so much. I, I mean, they still would have.
2: Yes, I hate it. I just hate it. It takes me out of the universe so completely because I can't understand any rationale for what's happening.
1: It's utter nonsense. Like I don't understand how that uniform is uh, more functional than the Starfleet jumpsuit and normal boots.
2: I just, but and to have the doctor say that he combined form and function is just such an insult. It's just like, oh,
1: it, and it makes him seem like an utter creep. I'm
2: not supposed to say stuff like this on the podcast, but it's a Trumpian level. <laughs> just like I'm just going to say the crazy thing that everyone knows is a lie, and I'm just going to say it like it's true, and that's that. Um. And then finally, Janeway just fucking going through Seven's shit and, like, laying in her bed while she's away like a weirdo. Like, they go in there and she's just, like, in her regeneration pod, just, like, zoned out.
1: Yeah, and it like, is uh, It is for sure the case that if you act a little weird in Starfleet, people will go through all your shit.
2: It's just, it's like, she's literally laying in her bed. Just, like, I wonder what Seven was thinking about.
1: Yeah, was that like was a, weird. What? Like, like, first of all, uh, do you remember when Janeway was a scientist? Yeah. Now she's, like, standing in her alcove. I'm just trying to figure out her person. It's like, what? <laughs> it's, it's, what happened to you in you that weird it, monastery? I was going to say that's what
2: happened to her. She learned that maybe there is uh, a god and afterlife and religion or whatever happened in that episode. Uh, that's it for me. I cannot say I enjoyed this episode. It earned more points than it than I enjoyed it.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, they were covering a bunch of big stuff, right? So they Yeah. Uh, fourth place last week was Enterprise. Oh. This week we watched The Council. I got faith. The sphere builders have a conference in the wormhole aliens cloud. (laughs) That's right. They're hanging out in the mist where they discuss uh, the diminished chance of the Zindi weapon being launched and what they're going to do about it. Mm. On enterprise, uh, the senior staff and Degra discuss the spheres and Archer plans to send a shuttle pod in to retrieve the data banks uh, for any information they might have on the sphere builders. Yeah. And what this does is this splits the story into two parts that never come back together during this episode.
2: And I got to be honest, that part where they go inside the spheres doesn't seem to matter.
1: No, it does not. I
2: don't know what it's there for, and I it, they don't spend a lot of time on it either. It's a very small part of the episode. So
1: not having seen <laughs> Enterprise, my guess is that they're going to discover in those data banks that it was the sphere builders that blew up the Zindi homeworld. Oh, yeah, probably something like that to manipulate this whole thing. And that's finally what's going to end the war. But I don't know for sure. Um, uh, On Degra's ship, he gets a visit from the uh, main sphere builder lady Mm -hmm. that we've met. And uh, she makes an appeal for him to return to the fold, but he sends her away and goes to prep Archer uh, for, for his meeting with the council. He tells him that after the destruction of the Zindi homeworld, the Sphere Builders appeared to the survivors and guided them to habitable planets. And because of that, they're almost worshipped like gods. Yeah, we learn a he lot. Has his, he has his kids say grace to the Sphere Builders every night and stuff like that. Yeah, we learn a lot
2: about that aspect of it.
1: So he's worried about convincing the council that they're uh, actually the bad guys here. Yeah. Um... A fleet of uh, the various allied Zindi show up and guide, uh, they're going to guide Enterprise into the council. And Degra preps him for, you know, how each of the different races think and what the individual council members are like.
2: As long as Archer remembers that they are each a monolith, that's right, then he'll
1: be in good shape. Uh, It's all a bunch of Bosques for sure. Mm -hmm. Um,. Their little fleet comes across Dolem's ship, and they use, like, warning shots and stuff to force him to give way so that Enterprise can reach the council. Uh, at this point, Mayweather, uh, Pole, Reed, and uh, what's the name of that Mako? Hawkins, I think. Is it
2: the Major or someone else?
1: It's not the Major. I don't remember it's just some name. guy. Oh, uh, yeah, I reach... know the guy you're talking
2: about. The guy who's in this episode. I don't know. Yeah,
1: they reach the nearest sphere, so they're going to start the B plot. Uh, let me just run through that real quick. How yeah, you knock that one right... out? <laughs> they get into the middle. Uh, they start to access the data banks. A fucking robot arm from a video game pops out uh-huh. and starts uh, attacking them. The Mako gets crush vaporated.
2: Uh, they crush him a little bit and then they zap him with a beam and then that he vaporizes just, yeah, him. Yeah,
1: he gets vaporized. Uh... So the robot Mayweather, arm really is just
2: for grasping. It's not for anything cool.
1: Yeah, Mayweather destroys the arm with the shuttle and <clears throat> they get out of there and they show up right at the end, but they, uh... They don't get a chance to deliver their... whatever they got from that thing by the end of the episode. Yeah, if they've even
2: analyzed it, who knows.
1: Yeah. So... Uh, Archer and Hoshi take a shuttle down to the council chambers. They're like high up in some jagged mountains. They were built by the extinct avians. Degra and everybody think it's cool to keep one of their skulls around.
2: Yeah, I can't imagine the thought process behind that.
1: Yeah, it's was just, just like a skull with a bunch of candles. A big bird skull with a bunch of candles. Everyone thinks that's pretty cool down there. Uh, Archer starts presenting his case. Uh, As expected, Dolem's not cooperative. He storms out. Um, Degra has a plan to help persuade the aquatics. uh, So he needs uh, Phlox's data on the sphere builder guy they caught in the pod. Mm -hmm. And he needs Trip's help. To modify that pod so that it can, I guess it's gonna, is gonna end up displaying a hologram of the the guy that was in there. Yeah. Trip doesn't want to work with him, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That that's still going on. You killed my uh, sister, Florida. Exactly. His <laughs> sister's name Florida, right? I'm
2: confused about this backstory.
1: Listen, uh, I forgot the name of his sister. I think it's Florida, Elizabeth,
2: Sarasota. <laughs> you killed my sister, Sarasota.
1: Uh, so they beam down the pod. They show the hologram. Uh, Dolom says, that's some fake shit right there. And uh, De- De- Degra says, they don't have the technology to fake that. And everyone apparently buys that. They
2: just go, oh, sorry.
1: Okay. Uh, at least the aquatics are swayed enough to allow them to continue to present evidence. Um, and Dolom pretends that he is persuaded too. Because he has had a secret meeting with the that one sphere builder, mm. who's like, get the weapon, launch the weapon, and in exchange, the reptilians will dominate the Zindi Empire. And that doesn't make this dude think, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> well, uh, something's up. Something's up with this with this person. Instead, he's like, oh, hell yeah. I
2: think it means his true motivations have been revealed.
1: That's correct. Yeah, no, the reptilians are the villains the, all the racist Zindi say they are. Yes, exactly. So don't worry about it. It's not <laughs> racism.
2: Right. It's true. It's gay. It be racism if it's true.
1: Right. Um, so they agree to postpone the launch of the weapon, but that's a lie. Uh, Dolem visits Degra in the council, which is maybe also his bedroom and reveals that he knows that Degra blew up the reptilian ship last week. Yeah, continuity. And he cold stabs him to death. Of course, as he's dying, he does threaten to do the exact same thing to his wife and children once the reptilians take over.
2: That way so, you can't go, well, I mean, he did blow up those uh, reptilians. You have to go, ah, yeah, that fucking him. Uh
1: Trip and Phlox talk for like 30 <laughs> seconds about getting used to the idea of peace instead of revenge, because at this point it seems like uh, Archer's plan is working. Yeah, which is
2: how you know it's not going to work when halfway through the episode they're like, well, that looks like right. we're going to have peace after all.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and that's when Archer gets the call from the uh, that primate counselor who doesn't have a name. Yeah, his buddy. Uh, yes, to tell him, Degra's dead, the reptilians have called an emergency meeting of the council, and... um. Uh, Dolem tells him, "Hey, we've got the weapon, and we're gonna launch it. The insectoids are on board, and when the aquatics and primates and arboreals refuses ultimatum, he withdraws from the council and uh insectoid ships start escorting the weapon into space, and there's a big battle, and Dolem disables the enterprise and kidnaps Hoshi. yep, and it takes the weapon into the vortex. and this is where the shuttle has returned, and all that's happened on the shuttle is. Re is mad about the number of casualties they're taking.
2: <laughs> yeah, he is about to get into it for sure. Huh. <clears throat> All right. I got an idea on the take for this one. Oh, please, I'd love to know. Lots of reasons are given for prosecuting a war, but ultimately, it's about power. So everything that they have been. Told by the guardians about why they need the to, Hool. why they, thats great, of why they need to kill uh, the humans, and everything Archer has provided as evidence uh, to counter that, ultimately don't mean anything. When this lady says to the reptilians, "I'll just make you in charge, so do what I say," because yeah. that's really what they wanted all along. Power and influence over other species, in this case, over the other Zindi. Like, it doesn't make any difference. They're after the same thing no matter what. It's it's being on top. So, I think that's what they were trying to say was, there's lots of rationales for war. But ultimately, it's just about, you know, getting, getting what you really want, which is power. I gave that a 7, because the keeping in mind of when this episode was made again, post 9-11, and all of the stuff that we went through in uh, getting into the Iraq War, among other places, I think they were trying to say something in the way that they just discard everything that we've been doing for the last 10 episodes. All the evidence that Archer's been collecting, everything that's been happening with Degra, all that just goes out the window the instant this lady goes, "Uh, who cares about any of that? You can be in charge.
1: Yeah, in fact, uh, Dolem makes her cause his cause. Like, he... uh... He threatens to straight murder a guy if he ever questions them again. Because right? mm-hmm. like, now he's a, he's, he becomes 100% in at that he's point. Staked.
2: Like he's staked. He, he, yeah. How these people go, he goes. So that's I, I, that is what I took away from it, that they were saying, pay attention. They're going to give you lots of reasons why they want to do this big war. But ultimately, it's always about the same thing, which is just power.
1: Ben thinks uh, that the take of this episode is friend and foe is not always dictated by blood. Um, that's only a three for him. I think that that is undercut a little bit by the fact that the council fractures entirely yes. on bloodlines. Yep. Um, yeah, you don't get any and, sense. And we've had
2: that there's going to be anyone from the insectoids or reptilians who's like, I don't know if I'm down with this. Right. So.
1: And they've laid it on pretty thick that the that the Zindi are are strongly divided along these race lines. Mm-hmm. So Um I have a softer take than yours. I chose uh I chose to focus more on the enterprise side of it. Mm-hmm. And so, for me, this is an episode that says grief and anger have to give way to understanding and forgiveness. That and this is mostly coming from from the stuff Trip goes through, and also, you know, Archer has been a real pirate here in the Expanse. Yeah, yes, he but here he's doing the Star Trek stuff instead. Everybody
2: remember Demar? He's out there somewhere, floating around. I mean, hopefully. <laughs> so. Just so angry. Maybe he's not dead. Who knows? He's probably bummed out
1: more yeah. than angry at this point.
2: <coughs> yeah, th- yeah, you're right. This is the TNG. That's the TNG take for sure. Yeah.
1: Um, to me, that's a five. It's a fine take. It's not. It's not. You know, world shattering. Right. Um, I'm a five also on execution. Do it. So. It seems like. They were a little bit afraid to commit to an actual courtroom scene Yeah, they for were for this one. We only get a few bits of evidence, and we've already seen it presented, and there's very little argument. Instead, they spend a lot of time on the Memory Core B-plot and the robot arm attack, and <laughs> like you said, all of that could have been skipped. Yeah, but it's nothing. I also wonder if Trip forgiving Degra before he died is as impactful as if trip later is upset that he couldn't forgive him.
2: Yeah. It's a good question.
1: But on the whole, I didn't think this was, was too bad. I think it was one of the better episodes in the, in this arc, even if it did still end with a cliffhanger, even if it's not over.
2: Yeah. So what'd you give it? Uh, that's a five okay. for me. Um, Ben gave it a 7, and I should say that the other part of his take was even stupidly long plot arcs can have a satisfying episode
1: that still somehow delays the climax. Um, yeah, he... This was definitely uh, not a filler piece of this arc, even though, it, like he said, it is delaying the, the eventual end. Yeah, it
2: still doesn't end at the end. You're like, God, really? Um, he gave it a 7 on execution. He says reptilians are out for themselves and take the chance to be the dominant species of the Zindi. Uh, insectoids are just followers. It undermines the menace of the insectoids. I mean, that's kind of true. They don't ever really do anything. They just kind of do whatever Dolem does.
1: They don't have a main character. No, they but just a couple of Zorax. Yeah, even in the council, there's like two of them.
2: Yeah. And then they're like... um uh They give you some background stuff about them, but they never indicate that they're going to be important in any way. Like, about how their names get longer as they get older and weird stuff. Um... He says good twist killing Degra, felt felt like some of the buildup paid off, and then uh, he thought the end was good too. Um, So just given my take, I'll just finish that up by saying warmongers suck, basically, and it's hard to argue. Um, Like you said, rather than present and defend evidence at the council, that all happens off screen, and then all the stakes change.
1: Yeah, look, I I mean, I have a bias for this, right? Measure of a Man is our high episode right now, our high watermark episode. Is it still the high? God. I think so. That's pure courtroom when we just check the rankings. Yeah, still our high. One ahead of Sins of the Father. Uh, An episode in which there is some... A lot lot of court stuff, for sure. So maybe I do have a bias in favor of that, but it's like the council parts, all the the behind-the-scenes stuff is the story. Yeah.
2: Yeah, so all the stuff that happens in the council happens off screen, and then the stakes change, and then that all that stuff goes away and doesn't matter anymore. But it also means that the last, like, ten episodes didn't matter. Because all they've been doing is, like, collecting evidence to help to try to convince the Zindi. Half of this episode is still doing that. Yeah, and then that that doesn't matter. Because they just instantly go, oh, I'll just make you in charge. And then they go, okay, good. And then, no, it doesn't matter anymore. I thought... By the way, I don't remember any of the stuff. I did watch this whole series. I don't remember most of it. I thought they were going to have a nice Star Trek time where they could talk their way out of a thing.
1: Well, they almost do, right? But, like, they, yeah. the, the reptilians have to take this action because the aquatics are going to be convinced.
2: Yeah. Um. Anyway, so it means everything we've been doing is not worth anything the last few episodes. It's definitely undercut. Um. Not sure if we're supposed to care that a character they ignore ninety five percent of the time was kidnapped in the end of the episode, but I kind of don't. <laughs> like, who cares? I she's mean, she's not in I, the episode. She's not in any of the episodes.
1: It does make you curious what her what Dolum's plan is for her. I mean, the only thing like, he could know he's about going to use her. her as a mouthpiece or something, right? Because he knows she's a translator.
2: Yeah, the only thing he could he could know because he saw her in the council was that she's a translator. Other than that, it would just be to have a hostage. But I
1: don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't know.
2: Uh, Honestly, Degra dying was way more of a blow because they spent almost infinitely more time developing his character.
1: Uh, Well, we know more about him than we do about Hoshi. It's not even
2: close. We've been with him like for a long, like a long portion of each episode of the last several episodes.
1: Hoshi, Mayweather, probably Reed. I think we know more about Degra than any of those three. So I, it's you know, who cares about Hoshi? Arguably, we know about more about Major Hayes than we do about Hoshi. (laughs) They could be, and I would say it's (laughs) not arguable. About Mayweather, we definitely know more about Major Hayes than we do about him. Well, we
2: know Mayweather's a boomer.
1: Yeah, we've seen his ship, will but you please, even that was in season one or something.
2: Do you please remind the audience what it means to be a boomer?
1: <laughs> Does it mean you pooped your it pants? Means you pooped your pants. <laughs>
2: You're officially a boomer at that point. Uh, um, some tea went down the wrong pipe. And, you <laughs> you to do that. and this, and it continues. It just goes on. They've been at. It feels like they've been at the finish line for about ten weeks. Yeah. Like, oh, any day now, we're going to get there, and we're going to stop this weapon, and then it just goes and goes and goes and goes.
1: Well, fucking Daniels appeared and told, gave away the whole game a long time ago It now.
2: was so long. I was, I mean, I know we haven't done one of these shows in a month because of holidays and illnesses and things, but, like, it feels so fucking long ago we did
1: that episode. That was in Harbinger. That was week 66.
2: Seven weeks ago. Anyway, it's, Yeah. Mm. So, anyway, I could only give it a four. I just, I, I really... There are some things that work in it, like the Degra stuff, and then there's just a lot of. When's it gonna? Can we just end it? When are we gonna be done? Can we be finished now? It's not entertaining.
1: Uh, uh how did they do world building
2: wise? Ben gave it a five. Sorry, I was looking at Voyager. Ben gave it a three. Uh, these time traveling. He says Sulebonds. <laughs> See, I mean they they look
1: too much like them. <laughs> they are sure.
2: close yes the first time we saw one of them i went hey, "Are the Su- the Sulabons are behind this
1: i also thought it was the Sulabons who were uh taking orders from that other time entity yeah because there's the same things happening that's unresolved yeah there's
2: said uh, that where <laughs> someone is sitting in a room and someone's telling them what to do just like is happening here and then when they pulled that guy out of that fluidic space either i first i was like oh that's a Sulabon."
1: Yeah, it's one of the Sulabans. Is it the main guy? The guy who's uh, uh, S- like Silek. F. Murray Abraham, but not? <laughs> yes. F-
2: Fuck him. F. Murray.
1: F- G. Murray Abraham. Yeah. Um,
2: so anyway, he says, these time-traveling Sulabans seem like they should be really menacing, but they're slow at revealing what they have over the Zindi that makes them so menacing. Yeah, it's true. They they haven't really... they In this episode, they explain yeah, some I mean, of the stuff real they he's real-timing it,
1: so he gets to it. Yeah here but
2: um anyway avian architecture for the council chambers that's cool to see reptilians are super racist and supremacist um the way uh, for me the way these aliens watch the timelines and like can figure out percentage chances that things are going to happen is very reminiscent of Kurtwood smith's character in voyager uh i don't know if you've, you have <laughs> you may not have, hasn't come up yet you may not have seen that episode
1: um, no, I didn't. I have not. Uh, let me say that I have fought against him. Oh, in the in, video game. In Star Trek Online, yeah.
2: Um, So it makes me wonder if they have sort of similar tech in what they're doing. Because he does the same thing when we get to that episode. He's like, I did another incursion and now there's only a 7% chance of getting my empire back or whatever. Um, Trip thinks Vulcans don't get headaches. I don't know. If that's a thing she said previously, if she did, I forgot it.
1: Oh, she does not answer that with, of course we do. So <laughs> She just kind of walks out. <laughs> I guess he called her on that one.
2: <laughs> uh, this Mako did six months on the Janus loop, and his training included EV suit combat training. The way the Guardians are viewed in Zindi society, Hoshi knows of 67 insectoid dialects, the Zindi council gets crazy sometimes, fists being thrown in there and shit. The different colors of the phasers the Makos and Starfleet use? When I didn't notice that. When they're shooting at that robot arm, I think the Reed's hand phaser, like the regular Starfleet hand phasers are red, or blue.
1: Don't they have, like, half phase rifles and half plasma rifles or something on the ship?
2: That's what I'm trying to get at. I don't know exactly what is making the color difference. But the Makos were firing something that was a different color than what the Starfleet people were firing. Hmm. It was blue and red. I don't know. Um... Degra bleeds
1: red. Um,
2: Denaxian tapeworm.
1: Oh, yeah. Phlox is gross. That's another thing that it continues in this one.
2: Uh, I actually felt we did learn a lot about the Zindi and their relationship to the sphere builders. Um, for as long as that's going to matter, which uh, theoretically could be forever at this rate. Uh, so I gave it a four
1: yeah i agree i also gave it a four and it is essentially entirely on the strength of continuing to learn about the zindi and the sphere builders Mm -hmm. um let's see they've had 23 deaths on the mission so far (laughs) yeah uh insectoid names get longer as they get older and then the other stuff you already mentioned uh this is not a world building episode but towards the end of the arc what would you expect really
2: yeah Characterization. In
1: terms, yeah, in terms of characterization, um, this is mostly a Degra and Dolem episode. Yes. There's like a couple of moments with Trip and Flocks and Reed's sudden, not really well motivated anger. Uh And Archer is in this one mostly as a plot device. They don't really check in with him to see what he's thinking or feeling about how things are going. He's just there to drive things along. Um, and Degra dies in this one, yes, and Dolom can't have too long. I gave it a four for characterization. I didn't think there was anything bad, particularly with it. uh they trip doesn't want to work with Degra, and then at the end, he seems okay with degra and it's not clear what changed. I guess it was just that quick he conversation in the script that Degra was about to die, I guess.
2: <laughs> yeah, it was that quick conversation he had with Phlox that somehow, despite people trying to right. tell him to get over his shit the whole season, that was the one that did it. I don't know.
1: Yeah, so Yeah, I think only a four.
2: Um, I was in the same camp. The more this lady talks to Degra, the more he's convinced that she's a manipulator, the sphere builder lady. Mm-hmm. Which I guess speaks to his judgment. Like, the more this lady tries to convince Degra, even though he can't prove or disprove anything she's saying, the more he's like, this fucking lady is trying to manipulate the shit out of me. Yep. Uh, he pledges himself to Archer's side, which I guess speaks against his judgment.
1: It's Archer weird because sucks. he's such a shades of gray dude who shot up a whole <laughs> ship full of reptilians last week. Uh-huh. uh Just so that they wouldn't get in his way. But, like, as soon as he heard that she helped the reptilians build that virus behind his back, he, he was like, yeah. this lady is not trustworthy at all. Yep.
2: Um, he goes hard on Dolem, straight firing warning shots. Warning shots, like, right off the bat. Um, but, obviously, that all, all the stuff he's been doing to the reptilians comes back to get him. Hey, maybe he was just racist and hated the reptilians. Anyway.
1: Uh, they finally said Janar's name. That is true. This is the one where we learned Janar's name. We also learned the name of one of the aquatics, mm-hmm. but I didn't write oh, it down. Oh, I it's did. Like-
2: it's Kjofit Amansor, and that's Dolphin Girl. Uh, she's a member of the Ibix Dynasty, which is a wealthy and powerful family.
1: Yep, she is the heir to the Holy Rings, for sure. Yeah. Um,
2: Dolom poisoned his own grandson, maybe, because the, the grandson had a handicap. That's a story that That's Decker the heard.
1: weird story that they tell <laughs> about Dolom mm-hmm. in the Zindi Empire. It's very weird. It's like, it's somehow not meant, well, it's not super menacing, like, he, he had him poisoned.
2: Yeah. It just, like, all they want to do is really, they really need to hammer home that Dolan's a bad guy.
1: Yeah, but like, Dolan didn't eat him. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> it been cool if that had been the like, end of it. Like, he's not a,
2: it's, it's it cool if he'd said he poisoned him, him a, and then just let that hang in the air for a minute and then gone, and then he ate him.
1: They make him a Richard III style monster. Yes. Where instead of like the physically imposing and powerful monster that he is, I don't know. Yeah. I thought it was an odd choice that he was a poison. Well, it was
2: also odd that they had him say, and then some famous guy said, Hey, somebody get me a horse. I thought that was a weird way to do it, too. <laughs> That's true. Um, Hoshi was never called to the principal's office, but Archer was. I don't know what I'm supposed to make of that did you get the feeling they were shoehorning in some banter between them because she's going to get kidnapped? Yeah. Yes. And I thought, wow. Oh, 100%. And I thought, wow, they've done
1: so little work with her over the last three seasons that they literally that have to. They're worried we might yes. not think that anyone would care that she was kidnapped. They literally have because to Because it's not some. whether we care about it or not. Uh-huh. It, they want to show that Archer likes her. So they have
2: to f- weirdly force small talk. And it's like, oh my God, if you just here... made her a part of the show, you wouldn't have to do any of that.
1: Yeah, here at the end of <sighs> season three, they're suddenly worried about it. Uh
2: anyway, uh Trip stuttering like a weirdo asking Degra for help was supposed to be like a a bridge moment between them, but it was acted so poorly it didn't land for me. It's like, "Hey, m- maybe if you got time, I could use a little bit of help."
1: "Hey, those b batteries you <laughs> sent us.
2: They don't really
1: work we, so very good. We, we, we boy we sure could use uh, your help. If
2: you're not busy, you know, if you got the time, I've absolutely made him a hundred. <laughs> you did? I don't know anymore. Um, Reed hurting his hand, saying it's fine, and then freaking out about how everyone's too comfortable losing people was so wild that I actually found it in character for this loser. Then he proudly proclaimed that 20% casualties pretty much always cool.
1: A real wharf. mode. But
2: any more than that is a fucking bummer. You know what? Uh, I had it at a four. I'm giving it a three. <laughs> I didn't enjoy it. I mean,
1: Reed character. sucks, and that is not new.
2: Reed sucks, and them shoe- sh- badly shoehorning in stuff for Hoshi to do so that they can kidnap her at the end of the episode. It's it's not good. Uh, ben uh, also I had yeah, it as Ben's a three. three. Uh, poles off the trellium now. Uh, Degra nearly apologizes to Tucker... Uh, really liked that he laid out what he was risking in helping the humans, and it's good to finally get a non-human centric personal view of the conflict. He
1: didn't have any quick hitters, though. Do you? Uh, yeah. Couldn't they have?
2: Okay, in the dumb B plot where they're going into the sphere, there's yes. a really just fucking idiotic moment where they fly full speed at the sphere, and then yes, it is people... it is again
1: an unnecessary tension where she doesn't tell them that the. It's an it's an illusion. Just keep flying. You'll go through. It's a hologram or some shit. Yeah.
2: Not only is it very stupid that she doesn't tell them that it's just a fucking hologram or whatever. So relax. We're just gonna fly right through it. But if she really was, if they were worried about it, couldn't they just have flown in real slow?
1: Yeah, I don't know why they had to go
2: full speed. Just like poked the nose of that shuttle through it and gone. See,
1: that's like it's platform nine and three quarters. It's better (laughs) if you take it at a run the first time. Is that in the musical? Uh, it's not a musical, it's a straight play. Oh, it's just a play?
2: I thought it was a musical.
1: No. <laughs> oh, that sounds it's in somehow the books, less but interesting. Yeah, they do, they do reiterate it in the in the play.
2: Wait, that sounds somehow less interesting to me than a musical.
1: Because then, like, uh, we already got a hundred movies. It's a five and a half hours of straight play. Yeah, wow. for sure.
2: Okay. Um okay. Uh, Dolem stabbed Degra with a hella cheap toy knife. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. He, like, shows off the knife afterward, and it's like, oh, man, that was the best prop they could do? That's fucking sad. I just bought a knife on Amazon. By the way, I just bought a knife on Amazon. And it only costs, like, $13, and it looks way better. (laughs) Like, what are they doing?
1: Hey, why did you buy a knife?
2: Mm, I just wanted another, like, flippy pocket knife.
1: Why didn't you consult me? I could have given you several good recommendations. I like my knife.
2: I'll, I'll send you the okay. link to what I bought later. Um, right. Anyway, that's it for me for Quick Hitters. I never have a lot for Enterprise.
1: Yeah, I just have a few. Um, why uh, Why do these uh, guys stand around in a fog machine?
2: That's Apparently, that's where they have their
1: meetings. I don't know yeah, why. I literally wrote, is their normal stand-up room taken? So they grabbed the sauna. Like, what's going on? <laughs>
2: Well, they have different conference rooms, but they're not just named differently. The environments are different, too. So sometimes they have the meetings in the spa room, but then sometimes yeah. they have them in,
1: like, the swamp room. Right, yeah. It's a wasteful use of mm-hmm. venture capital. Uh, desert's actually
2: taken up at three. Someone's already got desert. You got to go. Cloud's open. Do you want to go to cloud? All right, we'll go to cloud.
1: Uh, why would T-Pol say headache if Vulcans don't get them? Why is that the excuse that she comes up with? It's not great. It's it's very bad.
2: It's like if I made a bad excuse and I said that it was because my tail hurt. And you, people go, "What? What? Oh, my t- my tail. It's oh, ow, my tail. Like a monkey's tail?
1: Oh, I, I don't snag- have one of those. Uh, I snagged my dew claw on something. <laughs> it's like, what?
2: What are you talking about? Cuz you're right when he calls her on it, she just looks at him like, "Yeah, I did say that."
1: He just runs into her in sick bay, and of course, he, she doesn't want to tell him about her trellium addiction. Mm-hmm. So she's like, I just had, a, just had a small headache, and he's like, what? Vulcans don't get headaches.
2: So why'd she say that? <laughs> you specifically told me they don't. Yeah, it's weird.
1: Why, but like, why would it even come to mind?
2: Yes, that's a very good question.
1: Why wouldn't she say, uh, Phlox is fitting me for new contact lenses? <laughs>
2: <laughs> Honestly, you should take away a point for that. I mean, such a wild thing for her to say.
1: It does suck. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I want to relitigate it. Okay. Um, do all the other Zindi speak insectoid and aquatic as well? Because they don't appear to have translators in the council, and those old boys speak speak real weird.
2: Yeah, they make a bunch of little. Yeah, I don't
1: know. Like Janar just speaks insectoid.
2: That's a very good question.
1: And that's pretty early in the episode but that's the moment where I definitely <laughs> did stop. Yeah. Uh Riverton got quick hitters. I gave best actor to Degra and worst actor to Malcolm 20% Reed. Mm. <clears throat> uh third place last week was TOS. Oh good. This week we watched The Lights of Zatar. Enterprise is on en route to Memory Alpha. Oh, good! The Federation's big computer planet, for which the wiki is named. Nice. Um, they've got a computer specialist on board who's going there to start her presumably pretty boring career. Yeah, Lieutenant Mira Romaine.
2: You know what happens hundred percent of the time? They have a specialist on board.
1: Yep, 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 yep. yep, yep. <laughs> Scotty is into her, and he's so uncool about it that everyone on the bridge is talking about it openly, and it's in Kirk's official log. That everyone at Starfleet will read. and
2: Everyone on the bridge will hear when he records it.
1: Yeah. Uh, before they can arrive and drop her off, however, they encounter a patch of sparkling colored lights in space mm. that's approaching at warp speed. It surrounds the ship and no one can speak or act while it's around them. And then when it moves away, uh, Mira falls down and begins emitting a series of low growls. Uh, Janeway style. Pretty much. It's pretty much a twisted. We're doing a twisted. Good. Um, It passes, and she says she's fine. Kirk makes her go to sick bay. Of course, Scotty goes down there with her. Um, Everything else on the ship seems to be fine, but as the bridge crew discusses what happened, they discover that various different parts of the brain were suppressed during the attack in each individual. Mm -hmm. Uh, The storm as Kirk keeps calling it, reaches Memory Alpha just before the Enterprise arrives and after it leaves, there are no energy readings from the planetoid. So Kirk and Spock and McCoy and Scotty all beam down and they find that the memory banks are damaged and um, almost all of the visiting scholars are dead. Yeah. Uh, McCoy does run across a woman making the same low croaking sounds as Mira and her face is changing colors. Yeah, she's doing a whole fucking light bright face. So, uh, Kirk calls, uh, calls up and asks Mira to beam down, since she did the croaking noise the last time. But the woman dies before she arrives. And McCoy scans show that everyone had a different part of the brain destroyed. Oh. So, I don't know. The, th- the thing attacks the brain.
2: Don't worry, it'll definitely matter that, that everyone's brain is affected in a different way.
1: Yeah. Uh, when Mira does get there and looks at the bodies, she suddenly has a premonition that the storm is returning. Uh, she had another little one earlier, just of the people dead, right before credits. But it wasn't clear to me that that's what was happening. No,
2: I didn't know what the fuck was going on.
1: Right. Anyway, so she has a premonition that the storm's returning, and sure enough, it turns around and starts coming right back. So they beam back up to the ship, but... M- Mira somehow gets suspended in transport, and Scotty's barely able to recover her before the Enterprise warps out. Um, Scotty continues to insist to Mira that her visions are just her getting her space legs in a real patronizing.
2: And very Star Trek thing to say.
1: And very Star Trek thing Eh, to say. Just
2: hallucinations, no big deal.
1: So they talk themselves, they talk each other out of reporting to anyone that she can see the future. Yep. Uh, Enterprise tries to run from this cloud, but as usual, they can't escape it. Uh, Spock's sensors tell him (laughs) that there are actually 10 life signs in this cluster of lights. Uh, And Kirk tries to talk to it, but all that does is it causes the lights to uh speed up and approach Enterprise faster and Mir has another vision, although we don't see what it is. Yeah. But it she doesn't like it, whatever it was.
2: Is that the one spoiler alert that is of Scotty dying?
1: Yes, it is of Scotty dying. Um Kirk shoots it <laughs> and uh <laughs> he shoots a warning shot and then he shoots right into the heart of the community of lights. And when it's hit, Mira collapses and the lights stop approaching and they hold position. And Kirk gets ready to fire again, but then Scotty calls up and tells him that the phasers are killing Mira, so he holds off. Mm -hmm. Spock suggests that they find an environment which is deadly to the lights, but presumably not to them, although he does not say that. (laughs) And they... uh, They gather everybody in the accusing parlor, which is the conference room with the computer that can uh, tell the tell whether someone's lying or not. Yes, my
2: favorite. My favorite room on the ship.
1: Yeah. And to question Mira to try and get some clue about what's going on.
2: Dude, they do so a whole they... internal
1: investigation with uh, rules that they lay out and everything.
2: <laughs> TOS is more interested in this than any other show by far.
1: Uh, it is for sure the case. <laughs> so, and they go, there. I mean, there's there are no scenes, they, there's a scene here where they compare Mira's records to Spock's data about the cloud, and mm-hmm. they note that the, uh, or, and from her medical file, McCoy says she's unu- considered unusually flexible in new learning situations, and that they, her her most recent brainwave analysis is different from the one that's on file, mm-hmm. and, and Spock added. notices that the brainwaves match the life readings from the cloud, and spock, no one is better at memorizing squiggly lines than spock no 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 it is very important he saw the squiggly in line he's like i know that squiggly line in fact they they have to do some like translation mm-hmm. and uh like stretching and resizing of the two patterns to make them line up so apparently he's super good at it yep uh he describes it as being like a mind melt that's his working theory okay <clears throat> the uh the lights approach the ship again This is when Mira reveals that she had a vision of Scotty dying, and Kirk tells her with great confidence that they have one chance to survive. (laughs) She needs to allow the lights to begin working through her, and then they go down to the gravity lab.
2: Yes, yes, they do. You've heard of that lab before. Oh, you haven't? Oh, well, it's there.
1: (laughs) Well, also, don't worry about it, because it's not, it doesn't have anything to do with gravity. No. The uh, the lights enter Mira, and she fights to retain her identity, but she does start speaking with their voice. The usual thing, Kirk talks to them. They've been searching for a thousand years for a person they could inhabit. Yeah,
2: I've seen this one 14 times already.
1: They claim to be the last hundred life forms from the planet Zatar, a planet where all humanoid life was destroyed. Kirk tells them they can't have her, and she pushes through briefly... But Kirk says, oh, she's losing the battle. Uh, Scotty believes Mira won't kill him. So he picks her up and puts her in the what they're now calling and will only refer to as a pressure chamber for the rest of the episode uh-huh. here in the gravity lab. The pressure chamber. <laughs> you got it. Um, but uh, Scotty does get zapped. And that's probably what she saw in the vision. But he doesn't die. He's fine. No, He flops Whatever.
2: around and then he gets up. and He's OK. Yeah.
1: Uh, Spock begins pressurizing the chamber, takes it up to nearly 40 atmospheres of pressure, and the lights appear around her briefly and then smear out. And they slowly depressurize the chamber, while Kirk and McCoy bully Spock into accepting that Mira owes a lot of her strength to the love of a good man.
2: Yeah, (laughs) it's true. They do bully him into accepting that point of view.
1: Fuck. Now what's this one about, huh?
2: Actually, well... I was hoping you or Ben would have something because I dozed <laughs> off about six times and I had a lot of trouble with this one. But then I saw what Ben's take was, which is if you're weird shit in space, if you're it's gonna crew Enterprise, one. you have to get used to weird weird shit in space. So that, I can't take that. So I'm at a zero right now. Maybe you can give me something besides what Kirk says at the end about the love of a man.
1: Uh yeah, that's not it. Um, I thought maybe there was something in here about. If you pride yourself on being flexible, if that's your goal, you might lose your voice. Like you're going to get lost in it. You got to stand up for yourself. This whole garbage fire of an episode is a bunch of people speaking for or through Mira uh-huh. and not to her. But I, I mean, at the end, everyone finds her incredible resistance to these Zatars laudable. So yeah, maybe that's it.
2: Stand up for yourself a little? Yeah, maybe. I mean, so so well, So well. you went with the thing about the flexibility. Well, what was that worth?
1: Uh, I'm
2: giving it a two. Okay. I'm going to stay at zero. I honestly don't know. I, 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 this was so hard. <laughs> this was a tough one to watch. I'll just get uh, into this,
1: it. This episode was written by uh, Sherry Lewis of Lamb Chopping, <laughs> and she wanted to play Mira and was not cast
2: she wrote a role for herself and she planned it out perfect she's like it'll be perfect for all these fucking old dudes I'll make it about an old dude who loves a hot young thing <laughs> they'll be way into it it totally works for sure
1: by this script
2: and they did buy the script but the, she I guess was not hot enough <laughs> nope uh, what did you do for, uh, for execution since I technically went first
1: oh shit that's true um, okay so uh, first of course I gave it a two okay did we need another ghost story? No! TOS doesn't care what we need, though. They give
2: us the same thing every week.
1: It well, First of all, it's terrible that they do ghost stories because uh, people who are writing reviews of the third season of Star Trek cannot help but draw parallels between the, the nearly cancelled show and every dead or dying thing on screen. <laughs> so they're just getting them ammunition. I know, yeah. <laughs> Just like Obvious. this
2: entire show. Right. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. The third season of Star Trek is a season uh, enamored of its own mortality. And you're like, fuck you. Yeah. Uh, obviously, this episode is not a big step forward for women. <laughs> no. Everyone on the bridge just flaps their gums about what Scotty likes about her.
2: I keep waiting for the big step for women, but
1: I don't think we're going to get it. No one asks once... Why she's into this old man with his old man smell? <laughs> God, you just look at him and you know he has it. <laughs> he looks like it. He looks like he has old man smell for sure, one hundred percent. Like everyone's like, uh, I didn't. I never thought he'd be into the brainy type. First of all, he's the ship's engineer. What? <laughs>
2: I know. It's. I think they are thinking of the time that he murdered a chick, and they're <laughs> just going off of that.
1: And no one's like, what does? Sh- Does she have daddy issues? What's going on here? And then later, by the way, it comes out that her dead brother was the chief engineer of some starship. So I was like, got it. I got it. Brother thing. I got it now. I know what her psychological damage is and that's why this is happening. Uh, Anyway, no one else cares because her entire role on the ship is to be uh, admired by Scotty. Yep. And the whole last act makes it seem like the writers didn't know the difference between gravity and pressure.
2: (laughs) Don't worry, they they didn't.
1: It makes just no sense at all that this diving bell would kill these immortal warp-traveling gestalt space lights, but somehow Kirk knew it would and he was for sure right. Like, explains... Spock says we need to find an environment that's lethal to them and then we don't see any work that goes into how yes. they figure it out that it's this fucking pressure chamber. They
2: never explain why they say
1: let's go down to the gravity lab. Like,
2: how... What was the leap there? Ugh.
1: It's, I mean, this is a real lesser work, even for TOS.
2: Even for TOS Season 3, I found this a lesser work.
1: This is yeah. real bad. Uh, ben gave it a two.
2: Yep. Scotty in love again. More Nagelum shit with floating lights. Why would the weightless weightlessness <laughs> and pressure, et cetera, have any effect on Aliens
1: and Romaine's body? Seems like that's equivalent to Snake Oil. That's I only worked because there were only five minutes left in the episode. How old is this bitch? I say... Uh, it says it's a good question. She just she passed her preliminary exams. It says. Exactly. Preliminary so to is... what? Yeah. I don't know. She's some kind of specialist, right? Like, she's not a line officer, so maybe she didn't go through the normal Academy shit. Yeah, I don't but know. Sh- can she be 23? Because
2: how old is Scotty, 50? He
1: uh, I mean, looks old as shit. He was the oldest member of the cast, so... I just... What am I
2: looking at, and why shouldn't I vomit up zeros all across the board for this garbage? (laughs) That's a good question. Another powerful and mysterious and alive space entity that turns out to be another lost civilization looking to get into a physical body again.
1: Did you give a zero to McCoy for sure watching that woman change? No, you gave a three to that episode.
2: Well, there was some other stuff going on, too. It wasn't all McCoy.
1: Um, Yeah, there was that zero that turned into a hellcat or whatever. (laughs)
2: It's two zeros. It's two zeros that turned into a Hellcat. <laughs> Don't worry about it. It's fine. Um, uh, another girl of the week to be kidnapped or possessed. I mean, and it. Worst of all, it was so
1: boring. It is really. It's very much like the one where they go. And they meet Zephyrm Cochrane of Alpha Centauri, yeah. and that alien life form just inhabits that woman's body. But it's okay, because she was dead.
2: It's so. fine. It's all fine. And now she can be in love with Cochran or whatever.
1: Right, exactly. <laughs> Except in this one, the woman gets to live. That's the only thing that's better about it.
2: Yeah, well, she still has to be with Scotty. She doesn't have a choice. So,
1: Scotty's yeah, choice. Because she's leaving to rebuild Memory Alpha right now.
2: Oh, is she? Okay, good. Thank God. Yeah, one for me. It's a one. Uh, world building. We go into memory alpha, bro. We're finally going to mem Alf. We're gonna search up some episodes. We're gonna watch our computers die all choking and wheezing because it's optimized for find zero out browsers. We played
1: that bomar.
2: It's gonna be f- fucking memory alpha all day. I was really hoping we get to spend more time there. Anyway, it's a big library planet because computers are too big. And if you've got a lot of data, you're gonna need a whole planet to house it. Um, no shields, because it's just free information for everybody, so I bet people keep editing it so that it reads, Captain James T. Kirk has suffered from Crohn's disease since he was a teenager. <laughs> Probably. Spock <laughs> describes its loss as a major blow to the entire galaxy. Should have put some shields there, I guess. Um, they specifically mention it has never been defended, because it's yeah. free How, How did they
1: expect that thing would not be full of Klingons, it's... just getting every piece of... Fed- like... They showed up at Space Station K-7 and claimed treaty rights. So <laughs> That's right. Th- they for sure are going to be all over Memory Alpha. <sighs> Romulans are going to be there. It's going to be a whole thing.
2: This internal investigation scene. Again, TOS is most concerned with administrative procedures of all of the series. This Biddy
1: was born... Oh, and by the way, I like that, frankly. Well, that's where it gets world It building makes it going. seem like a real place.
2: Uh, this Biddy was born on Martian Colony Number 3. Yep. Uh, a BCP, or brainwave pattern, is as specific as a fingerprint. Tape deck D and tape deck H. <laughs> the backstory on the, uh, the Zetar folks, their whole society and everything. Damn, but they can be killed by high pressure, I guess. Um, I gave it a three.
1: Uh, I don't disagree. I'm a three also. Memory Alpha, space sickness, Steinman analysis, Enterprise is a gravity lab that's used for pressure tests. This is about the standard three. Uh, ben is a four. Uh, he his point about space sickness, or, or is that weird shit in space is so common it's considered similar to getting your space legs to go through it. <laughs> yeah. Ah, this is Enterprise stuff. You'll get used to it. You'll get used to all of this. <laughs> yeah. He thinks that's self-aware. Yeah, sort of. Yeah. Uh you can be suspended in transit at the, in the transporter he points out. Uh yeah, he, he gives it a 4, we're both threes. Characterization. Characterization. Yeah. <clears throat> um Kirk doesn't want to kill the girl. Common. Because that is how they refer to her the whole I was
2: episode. i to say that way.
1: But he'll risk killing her rather than let her be taken over by these lights. Mm. Spock insists over and over again that it isn't a natural phenomenon, but at the end of the day, isn't it? I think it is. (laughs) Isn't it? Well, he's not always right. It doesn't matter. He's barely in this one. This is not a Spock episode. Uh, Scotty is not a cool romantic partner. He definitely orders dinner for this girl, and it's always a salad with low-fat dressing on the side.
2: Well, she should appreciate his life experience. Yeah. He's been through all of this before.
1: Well, he mansplains this whole episode for her uh-huh. huh? all the like all the time, constantly. And uh, Sulu and Chekhov are really settling in as those two Muppets in the balcony. Yeah. Just on the bridge. She's right there. <laughs> She's right there. And Sulu's like, I didn't think you'd go for brainy girls. <laughs> yep. She can definitely hear you. <laughs> Shut up. Play a cord. Cool. I only gave it a three. I didn't think good characterization work was being done here.
2: No, Ben gave it a two. He said, Scotty doesn't believe McCoy can even cure a cold. I think he's right. In a previous episode, didn't they say humanity hadn't even cured the common cold? Scotty, of course, is in love again. Apparently, that's just something that the Scots do. Um,
1: <sighs> when a man of Scotty's age falls in falls love. In love.
2: <laughs> the rest of us fucking vomit is how that should have ended.
1: The Enterprise, Captain's log. When a man of Scotty's age, what
2: <laughs> the Enterprise has been his only lover until this I day. Mean,
1: that is Kirk's style, because for sure, in the second episode, he's like. Except that uh, whatever is that one woman from Doctor yeah. McCoy's life, and you're like, no, is this dude. on
2: tape. That was episode one, wasn't that Mantrap? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, again, he insists that the Enterprise in the log. He says the Enterprise has been his only lover. Yes. <sighs> nasty scotty all tells her not to say anything about her ailment and he keeps telling her that what's really wrong with her is just space
1: it's just space when a real incel like scotty (laughs) falls in love (laughs) when a real men's rights activist like montgomery scott falls in love
2: so i think what we've learned is every moment he's not actually doing his fucking job scotty sucks because he's a good engineer i think and we're led to believe he's pretty good replacement captain
1: Yes, he is, however, a tremendous drunk. But Yes, but he's a horrible drunk who maybe murdered a lady. I'm not yeah, everyone, convinced he let, didn't. Let's put it this way. Everyone thought it was plausible.
2: Everyone said, well, he hates women now. So. Everyone
1: immediately said, oh, no, I bet he did it. You know
2: he hates women now, so it's possible. Yeah. Um, And then he's, yeah, he's, it's so gross, everything that happens in this episode. Um, Chapel tries on a Scottish accent. Oh, yeah. That Not strong. wasn't good. Kirk's fucking bedside manner. He just points right in this croaking lady's face and goes, You ever seen anything like that before? <laughs> Make me laugh really hard. His finger was six inches from her face. And he's just pointing right at her, asking anybody if they'd ever seen anything like that before. <laughs> I was just like, holy shit. That is bedside manner. Um you know, I gave it a two, I can't justify two. <laughs> to me, it has to be a one. This is a one boy. in characterization. It's bad. Boy, you
1: gave this episode very few points. It's
2: bad all around. Yeah, so, yeah, one for me. Oof.
1: Oh, boy. Oh, that's rough. You hate to see it. Do you have quick hitters for me?
2: <laughs> oh, boy. I just said fucking lamb chops. Um. In her vision, I saw some kind of wolf man. It's one of the mm-hmm. dead guys on the Memory Alpha planet. I don't know what he was supposed to be.
1: Yeah, I think this is the last appearance in TOS of a Tellarite and an Andorian. Oh, was he story. a Tellarite? Maybe. Oh, I just saw Wolfman. <laughs> oh, there might have been a third guy that was just a Wolfman. <laughs> There's a Wolfman in the cantina scene in Star Wars, so sometimes a Wolfman just gets in That's
2: there. That's right. Uh, honestly, I didn't have much that we haven't already talked about. Ben just had the croaking is creepy and he didn't like it. And Mira Romaine is the girl, not the lieutenant most often yep. in this episode
1: yeah that's uh, a lot of that uh, Scotty's on mega blast um, <clears throat> no natural phenomenon can exceed the speed of light but weird patterns of light come snoring at the Enterprise every damn week <laughs> yep. uh, Christine Chapel is a bigot yeah.
2: you're a bigot Christine Chapel.
1: Uh, at some point, someone asks what technician, which I thought was a very good question. I think Mira asked it, but she seemed so mad when she asked it, I didn't understand what that meant. Mm. Uh, this scene where Mira is telling Scotty about what's happening to her, and he just insists it's uh, just being in spaces like that uh-huh. is, that's every woman going to the doctor, right?
2: It's exactly right. No, but I'm telling you, it hurts. Look, uh,
1: ah, it's going to hurt. I hear
2: stuff like that all the time. <laughs> You're going to be okay. It's like, <gasps> and.
1: Uh, it's gross that they keep referring to Mira as the girl Not good I didn't have a best actor candidate this week <laughs> I don't blame you I don't think anyone earned that honor And uh, worst actor was Mira petulantly being examined in sick bay. She was such a raging bee in that She she really was five years old in that scene for no reason I'm not gonna tell you anything because I don't want to Yeah, it was okay, bad great. Uh, We're making good time, but we still have two to go Yeah Uh, second place last week was The Next Generation. This week we watched The Best of Both Worlds.
2: Ben's pick of the
1: week. Hi, this is Ben Town, your remote
2: Star Trek edition correspondent with my pick of the week. Pick of the week. Enterprise. Answers a distress call from a colony that, whoops, ain't there no more. Uh, like TOS style, just scooped out of the planet. Scary music credits. Admiral Hansen and his lieutenant, Shelby, show up to talk about the fucking Borg. Guess it's pretty clear it was the Borg. Uh, yeah. They're going to review the colony site and see if it's true, but they're all pretty sure. Anyway, Riker was offered another ship.
1: This time... Oh, by the way, yeah. no one says anything about the attacks along the neutral zone. No,
2: because they knew they botched it. From the episode
1: The Neutral Zone? They knew they botched that whole plot. Yeah.
2: So they didn't want to talk about it. Uh, Riker's been offered another ship. This time it's the Melbourne. Um, What's that, Excelsior?
1: Uh, Yeah, but that's because that's the only other model that exists. Yeah.
2: Well, anyway, he refuses to be captain. He likes his space family and he wants to stay with them. Shelby wants his job as first officer, so that's a thing in this episode. Anyway, they play some poker, and then um, Shelby goes down to the planet early, you know, before Riker wants her to go, which makes him mad.
1: It's one of those emotionally loaded poker scenes. The ultimate one is in Too Many Rikers, of course. <laughs> uh... You always
2: get the winning hand, or whatever
1: Sometimes on this show, when they play poker, it's just to show them passing the time. Yeah. But sometimes when they play poker, it's about something else. Yeah. This is one of those. It times. It
2: definitely is. I'm just trying to make this go fast. Um. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> she gets out of the planet early, which pisses him off. They confirm it is the Borg that did that to the planet. Riker, uh, Picard tells Riker point blank to reconsider his decision and take the Melbourne. Uh, Riker talks to Troy, which is never super helpful. Um, Shelby, Riker and team chat in engineering about augmenting their defenses, but they just end up arguing some more. Then Hansen tells them they've detected the Borg again and that, uh, Enterprise has to go intercept them. Uh, the closest help is six days away somehow, even though they saw Hansen yesterday. So what happened?
1: Um, (laughs) well, he's still, I guess he's still flying to that help.
2: I I just, I'm trying to figure it out because he must be closer than six days away. So
1: yeah, I presume he came there on an old ass Excelsior. (laughs) That's only used to ferry admirals around. So I thought he came on the Melbourne. Oh, it's maybe, I think he did.
2: I think he came on the Melbourne.
1: It is. It doesn't end up being his flagship. Yes.
2: I think he was on the Melbourne and he came to hand deliver it
1: (laughs) to Riker. And they roll out the fucking red carpet, huh?
2: Yeah. um, uh, So anyway, they eventually meet the Borg. Picard is hailed by name, and the Borg say they're going to assimilate him and all that shit. But Picard is to beam himself over because they want to use him to liaise with the Earthers. Anyway, there's a big fight, and the Enterprise gets whooped, and they flee into a weird nebula. Um, They come up with a plan to uh, shoot a big, fat beam out of the deflector at a certain frequency. Uh, but Riker and Shelby get into it again about separating the saucer and she goes over his head right to the captain and then they really get into it in the turbo lift Picard and Guinan have a nice chat and then the Borg start shooting into the nebula which forces Enterprise to flee again there
1: yeah they remember that Star Trek works best when it's a submarine movie so they start firing depth charges yep
2: they are instantly caught after they leave the nebula and boarded Picard is stolen away and the Borg Borg cube sets course for fucking earth yeah, they tell Picard Sector
1: zero, zero,
2: 001. They tell Picard he's going to be their big human microphone, s- singing the hits all the way to Earth, and then um, Riker wants to lead the away team to retrieve him. Sorry, Riker <laughs> wants to lead the away team to retrieve him, but Troy says he can't because he's the captain now. So Shelby leads the away team. Uh, they put a, a ticking clock on it. They can't keep up with the Borg at maximum warp, so they gotta they either gotta take him out of warp or they're going to have to give up in 15 minutes or whatever he says. Um, so they they settle for uh, 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 shooting it a little bit on the inside to slow it down, and then they're going to shoot it with its big weapon. Um, anyway, they, they find Picard on the ship. They try to take him, but he's behind a force field, and then they give up instantly, and they beam back to Enterprise. And then Picard, as Locutus of Borg, calls him and makes the usual Borg threats. And then Riker says fire, and they're going to shoot him with the big deflector weapon, and then they are uh, to be continued.
1: Right. Uh, There's really a lot of stuff in this episode. Yeah, they knew they had a lot to cover. Yeah. Uh, Ben's take is, and he's going with the Riker plot. Okay. Uh, How will you step up when the moment finds you? Uh, He thinks it's broadly applicable, but not deep. He gives it a four.
2: I mean... I I mean... uh, (laughs) Uh, without having seen it recently i would say that's probably more next episode but
1: Uh, yeah next episode is there's a lot of stuff about how riker is going to fill picard's shoes etc uh i also think this episode is mostly about riker yes uh and my take for it is progress for uh career's sake may not be as rewarding as staying in a role you love okay it's a little weird to me that this up or out stuff even comes up. You mean in up the but not out. I mean up but not out. <laughs> um, because it seems exactly like something Picard would would say already. And it explains all those 60-year-old ensigns who clearly aren't being pushed out. Yeah, But I guess we need to hear it. I, I thought it was worth five points. Like... Maybe you don't always have to be worried about your career. Maybe you should, you know.
2: Yeah, he really he goes through the whole thing. He has a whole conversation with Troy about how maybe he has lost something and how he right. used to be so ambitious and he liked that part of himself and what happened. Right. <clears throat> but he has decided he loves his space family. He's got his his, his space cousin Worf, and his, his his
1: space little brother Jordy, and his space son Wesley, and his yep. space dad Picard. Yeah, the space dad, Picard, and then also five or six hundred women. Five or six hundred ladies to do stuff with. Um, Yeah, I had the... um, It's
2: also obviously based on the Riker plot, because that's the only thing that's not just the Borg attacking them. Um, The impetuousness of youth versus the caution of experience. Um, It's like Shelby's... They do...
1: They do phrase it as he's, that Riker's lost two things, ambition and willingness to take risks.
2: Yes, and they directly set him up against Shelby, who has all of those things that he used to have and doesn't anymore. Right, even though she
1: doesn't really look that much younger than him.
2: <laughs> no, she doesn't. And also, a lot of the time she's just like suggesting some things that could be a good idea and he hates her guts. Um, yeah. Anyway, but that's Riker. He's never very good. Uh, I don't know it's it's what it's what's set up in this episode but it's only half a story and un- unfortunately it's too early to get an actual take from the writers on this question so I give it kind of an average score as an incomplete because it's at least clear what the episode is about but they I don't know if they'll finish this next week or what they
1: knew there was going to be a part two yeah so I gave it a and five. so they weren't in a hurry to resolve it yeah yeah what about uh, mm-hmm. execution? Potentially where this episode is going to score a lot of points.
2: Um, I gave it a seven. So certain parts of this episode sound like they come from a like a guidebook to season finales. And I don't know how much of that was old hat already at the time and how much was new. But there's a supervillain that's unstoppable here not to just do bad deeds,
1: but to end the human race? This is the first Star Trek cliffhanger season finale yeah season one ended with a cliffhanger sort of that was not but not explicitly what right? the and Romulans saying we're back coming oh yeah the Romulans saying we're back yeah, yeah. uh and uh season and two season was... two ended with a clip show right. so but it's just like this is the first shot at it and they they did, you're, you're right, that they ticked all the boxes.
2: The stakes are super, super high, and then our, one of our
1: heroes is doomed. They've captured
2: him at the end. And it's, so they, some of it feels kind of rote, and I don't know what to do with it, because I don't know whether it felt that way in 1989 or whatever year it was. Um, Other parts are handled much more subtly, which is the TNG. That's how TNG normally excels, when they do. The quiet scene between Picard and Guinan in the empty tin forward. The way yep. Worf and Wesley react when the team gets back without Picard and Riker yes. trying to figure out how he feels about his career and his psyche and seeing that affect how he handles an actual crisis. So it succeeds in those ways. Love the special Borg soundtrack for this yep. one.
1: Soundtrack doing a lot of work this week.
2: Yeah, it makes it feel like an event. But then there's some stuff like where you can tell they're like, yeah, make her a real ice queen, a cold fucking bitch, just like my ex-wife. fucking 1980s
1: you know these women in the workplace they have to to get our jobs and they'll just say it they don't care (laughs) anyway
2: so there's some stuff that I don't know I didn't feel great about so I I could only give it as much as a 7 it's obviously a really good episode
1: Uh, yeah this is one that consistently is voted the best episode when the two parts are combined they're consistently voted the top episode of TNG yeah Um. I gave it a six. Even this part one is two episodes. Yeah. Like, uh, is Riker the man he used to be? And is that good or bad? And then the hopeless battle against the Borg.
2: Which is weird, by the way, because set up against each other, one of them does not matter.
1: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's
2: weird to put them there like that, because who fucking cares about Riker's psyche?
1: Uh, yeah it's true once that all starts popping off yeah. the the first one is interesting that the stuff about Riker and it's a shame that there was no serialization yeah because of the worst part about this episode is how quickly Shelby and Riker are at each other's throats oh yeah like that would have worked better if it had, had time to breathe
2: I mean really is the moment he takes her to see her guest quarters and she says and I'm going to convince Captain Picard that I'm the best one for the job and he's yeah. like, what? And she's like, oh, and he's like, what job? And she's like, well, yours, of course. And it's like, oh, and then he gets that shit look on his face. Yeah.
1: Um. The other thing about having the big battle with the Borg take up the second half of this episode is it means there's very little Picard and Riker time. Mm-hmm. Which is a shame, not just because uh, having more Picard scenes would better inform the Riker story here, but it would also set up part two better. Yeah if we had more interplay between them. Um, mostly the episode works, though. Uh, the special effects, didn't make the best transition to HD. There's <laughs> the, the matte painting on New Providence is pretty bad. Yep. And Picard stands in front of a crazy blue screen on the bridge. He's got a huge aura all around him.
2: What I thought was weird was that when Janeway's doing it years later, it doesn't look any better. <laughs> they yeah, never figured out that Borg cube, apparently.
1: <laughs> No, it's it's like I don't know what it is about that shot, but it's too black or something. But it makes the blue screen rotoscoping not work. Yeah. Um, but uh, but even in in regard to that, Enterprise looks great in that nebula. Yeah, that's a ship that looks great, half obscured. You like you don't see all of its awkward angles. Feels like
2: a backhanded compliment.
1: Mm, a little bit. <laughs> it's a weird looking design. It's,
2: you know, you look great from far away. That's what that sounded. Yeah, like. That's true.
1: <laughs> that is true. Now the boys used to say about Enterprise D that it looked better in the dark. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, and again, the sound is is, is pretty good. Ben gave it an eight.
2: Oh, that, that's why this is his pick of the week, I assume. This is his... Yeah,
1: yeah that helps it add up for sure. Yeah. Uh, he says spooky music right off the bat, uh, that whole uh, colony being scooped out, Riker being up or outed no again
2: he's up but not out out
1: yeah um he says it's a good job to introduce a b plot that's interesting even up against an an exit as existential man i don't know why i can't talk today existential threat level a plot um of course there has to be a guy to talk with picard and ten forward that scene is good here but it sets up Better yeah, work in part two between Gynan and Riker. Yeah, when he,
2: she just introduces herself to him, basically they haven't talked a lot. This is not, but they yeah. probably haven't talked since the time he was flirting with her.
1: Yeah. Oh, he's he's still confused about that because they didn't end up having sex. <laughs> he's and very. And he's confused. been kind of avoiding her. Right. That's why he shows up at like weird hours when Law's working.
2: <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So next time when
1: she just introduces herself to him, he's like, "What? What? Who are you? Why? Why are you here?" And then he thinks the greatest twist of in Star Trek is Locutus.
2: I so. mean, maybe. It was probably really dramatic at the time. I, a lot of it doesn't make sense based on what we already knew about the Borg and what we continue to learn about the Borg later, and I don't really understand what they're doing. and
1: hey, do you want to talk about this? Like, Is there a possibility that if you were watching this in, when it aired in like May of 1990, you would have been like, this is the setup, Picard's gonna die and Riker's gonna be the new captain. Maybe. And it's gonna be like that's it's gonna end up being both parts of his dilemma because he will be the captain, but it'll be of the Enterprise, right? Yeah, he gets and exactly like, what he this wants. Is, this is gonna be Patrick Stewart's big exit, and like there's no internet yet, it's nineteen ninety. Uh-huh. And you gotta wait. I mean all there might be too. Usenet, but ten people have it. Yeah, and and all you've got is what whatever someone said in an interview and in TV guide. Yeah, and they killed to y'all. Go on. Yeah, and they've killed Yar. Like, there's a possibility that there's a real threat here and that they're giving Picard a great
2: exit. But then you'd have to believe the Star Trek writers were good because that's right, if you gave Riker exactly what he wanted, but in a bad way, yes. then he does get to be captain of the Enterprise, but it's because Picard gets fucking Borged. Right. That would be too good for them. They wouldn't know how to write that. They'll they make him feel a way, but I don't remember what way. Can you tell? What do you guys think?
1: But that's the threat. In this cliffhanger, and it's that—that's the only problem—is that, you know, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> we just saw transfigurations. This is not the same writing team. That's right. Yeah. Um. A yeah, world building. I think it's me. Yeah. Uh, someone at Starfleet is reading Picard's reports. Hmm. And they've been working on the Borg problem for a while. Like, stuff is happening behind the scenes. Yeah. That's sort of the big... The, that's sort of the major thing yeah,
2: they've, in this episode. Starfleet Tactical is a thing, first of all. And yeah. they've been prepping for the Borg for more than a year. And Shelby's been running that team for six months. Right. So, yes, there's a lot there.
1: Um, other than that, phasers have frequencies. That's 90% of the tech talk in this episode is about phaser frequencies. And
2: will be forever, thanks to this episode.
1: And then the Borg uh, are not just a hammer. Like, they're working an assimilation strategy yeah. with Picard as Locutus. So, you know, they're not not—they're not quite zombies. When we see the drones, they're zombies, yes. right? But the Borg hive mind is actually working a strategy here when they explain to Picard... Yeah,
2: Mr. Disembodied Voice has a plan.
1: Right. That they're, you know, you're archaic culture is hierarchy driven authority driven so we're gonna use you etc this is probably
2: the best time to talk about it do we think that makes sense given what we've learned about the borg isn't it really why would they think that would work one what because you got a guy who's a human in a bunch of borg tubes saying hey guys give up that people are gonna give up like why would they think
1: that it's a strong question. And, and then also,
2: like, they don't seem to care about shit like that. Like, the whole thing is that they're just like, no, we're going to simulate you no matter what. Just, like, shut up. We're going to do it.
1: What species number is humanity? Do we know? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if we know. Uh, they should have run enough assimilations to know whether or not that works, right? Yeah, I can't imagine that could ever work. Well, I don't know. Well, he looks like one of us all covered in tubes and everything, but he looks like one and he's telling us like on the one hand they've they are so far removed from being individuals that they they obviously and we've seen this in, with seven of nine they have no understanding of the upside of individuality mm-hmm. but by the same token haven't they tried assimilations before that's what I'm saying
2: I can't yeah, believe it, if they've ever tried this before that it's ever worked or is this confusing. the first time it they've it ever tried it it doesn't seem like it should work yeah I'm, I'm confused by the whole plan they give them a name they chose a yes. name
1: And they chose a name that, again... They named him, like, a pet? Did the Universal Translator pick that name? (laughs) Did they pick it? Or is Picard still speaking English? I don't know. Why would they pick a Latin word that means speaker? It's... Why Latin? Hey, we learned (laughs) that your species is big into Latin.
2: It was between Greek and Latin. We went with Latin. I don't know. I, I... so, all of those aspects of it have always troubled me, where I don't really understand, other than it seeming scary, what the point of it is. Yeah. But, they had to do something with Picard, and that's what they came up with, I guess.
1: Anyway, I'm a four on world building. Okay. I think it's that the... But Picard's log entries, and the log entries of all the captains, and especially something in, like, Deep Space Nine. Hmm. Where it seems like there's just no oversight. Yep, at all. It's nice to occasionally be reminded that stuff's happening behind the scenes, and that's why, really, why I gave it four points.
2: Yeah, uh, Jorit Four, New Providence Colony. So all the stuff about Starfleet Tactical. Uh, the Borg can straight scoop up colonies out of the ground and leave a big crater. I don't know what the hell happened with that. Is that what they did?
1: Yeah, and why?
2: <clears throat> why? What did they do with it? Where yeah, is what'd it? they do
1: with all that dirt? Did they just is it inside the cube? Did, did they assimilate the dirt? I don't know what happened there. The U- why did they take why'd they take such a big slice? It's right. <laughs> all, the, all the stuff that matters is at the surface or like ten feet below? Well, why did they take a Grand Ca- uh, Grand Canyon style slice? Last
2: time they took too small a slice and it was a real problem. So. <laughs> um the USS Lalo got got. That's where they they find it, because yeah. they were talking to the Lalo and it got caught by the Borg. Um, Eleven more die and eight unaccounted for in engineering in this episode. I didn't remember that part. Last year they killed 18 fuckers.
1: Yep. <sighs>
2: uh, the main deflector dish weapon they design. Uh, the radiation resulting from it and the evacuations they have to do. Um, hand phaser tuning, just like they do with the uh, the ones on the ship. Saucer separation as a tactical safeguard. It's just putting non essentials on there and and ditch it. Um, the Borg destroyed Guinan's homeworld. Did you say that last time they met the Borg? Yes. Okay, I couldn't remember. I, and I know they don't want to tell us anything about her backstory, but <laughs> yes, they don't. Where, they're afraid to. Where is her
1: planet? It can't be close, right? But also, doesn't it gotta be close? It has to be
2: close, because that ship full of refugees in Generations gets... It's in the Nexus, in, like, the solar system.
1: Yeah, it's like at Pluto. It's like...
2: What's happening? How did they get there? Anyway, I don't want to get into it. I'm not going to get into it. They don't want to get into it.
1: I mean, that's Generations' fault. Yes. Like, Guinan could have been from far away in this point. At this point in the series. But
2: wherever they are, the Borg got there, and no one ever knew about it, except Guinan knew who they were. Anyway. Uh, Right, but Guinan also... May have
1: magic powers?
2: Well, Q seems to think she might.
1: Yeah. Um, and she does a weird, uh,
2: like, oh, she has a stance hand thing. Yeah, <laughs> she's ready for him. Worf declares tricorder functions minimal when they get to that Borg ship. So, I don't know, some kind of dampening field. And Wolf 359 is where Starfleet plans to stop the Borg. Um, yeah. It was a four for me as well.
1: Which is like a weird sounding name, but it's actually a star that's pretty close to... uh, Yes, uh, since the Borg are headed for Earth,
2: that's where they're going to meet them.
1: Um, Ben also had it as a four in world building. Wesley's
2: part of the poker game today. Um, uh, Borg conversations happen quick, and the mental programming happens before too much of the mechanical augmentation. Oh, conversions. I said conversations. Borg conversions happen quick. Deflector Dish Blast does some gnarly stuff. I think he means to the Enterprise itself.
1: Yeah, they're worried about the radiation. Yeah. Troy goes down to help, helpfully evacuate everybody. She just goes, "I'll do that." Yep, she wants to get off that fucking bridge. <sighs> uh,
2: and he says the Borg stuff's mostly old news at this point, but he still gave it a four. Uh, characterization. <clears throat> um, Riker didn't accept the Melbourne and didn't tell anybody he was offered it.
1: No, it's not a thing that he thought he needed to consult anybody on. He didn't know, just like. Just like he presumably didn't with the Drake, right? Yeah, he... Oh, that was before he joined. What's the third uh, one? That was the one when his dad came. Oh, yeah, yeah, peak performance. I don't remember what shit um, that was,
2: though. It's the... Uh, fuck.
1: <sighs> that's gonna kill sorry, me. Sorry, that's a big derail.
2: Um. Oh, no, I'm not even... I'm, I'm gonna stop. Peak <laughs> performance.
1: TNG. That's also not peak performance. It's the Icarus factor. I'm sorry. Fucking A- Peak performance, he Hathaway. does command a ship, the Hathaway, uh, but that's not the one he's off Factor of. TNG. <laughs> I'm
2: going to figure this out right now. Right
1: now! Uh, I know it's going on a long, dangerous mission.
2: Yep, the Ares. The Ares. Okay. Um, Alright, so anyway, I guess he didn't anticipate that Admiral Hanson was going to blow him up like that. Blow up his yeah. whole spot.
1: Yeah, he thought everyone would be quiet about it, huh?
2: Riker is easily threatened by this lady showing up. Um, he thinks he's lost something and that he's too comfortable on Enterprise. Wesley. Well, Q
1: liked him better before he grew the beard. (laughs) That's right. Wesley, uh,
2: has no gramba in poker.
1: Doesn't it seem like this is supposed to be Wesley's first time playing poker with the crew? Yes. Because it, Data Data is explaining to him the concept of bluffing. Mm-hmm. I, now I'm not saying Wesley needed that explained, but Data is taking the time to do it.
2: Yeah, he has no grandpa. Like all humans, he talks and he talks, but uh, he has no grandpa. He's all, all humans, coward. Um, he's afraid he's gonna lose uh, his second space dad. You can tell when he looks down at his screen after they get back without Picard at the end.
1: Yeah, that moment is. Covered up a little bit by Worf's incredible performance, which we
2: will get to. Yeah, but I thought it
1: was a really good. He like he looks down at his little
2: pad in front of him, like my space dad. Mm-hmm. Um, Picard got shit on by Hanson, so he shits on Riker. By the way, I love this Picard, the one who just says to Picard, like it's an order. Reconsider your decision. Yes. <laughs> like, sorry. It's time to fucking man up and command the fucking Melbourne. I also love uh, vulnerable Picard in this scene with Guinan, his um his healthy conceit that they may yet prevail in the battle. Yes. Troy's great therapy skills. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, she is. Ask Eliza on this <laughs> ship for sure. It's fucking unbelievable. He like lays out the whole problem for her, and she just says, "What do you think?" Uh, I guess Guinan just sits in the corner of empty ten forward all day. Yeah,
1: yeah. (laughs) She's always popping up from behind a counter, or I don't know. It's
2: weird. Did her senses tell her Picard was going to wander in? It's
1: weird. She's kind of the John So Man of Enterprise. She's kind of a little (laughs) goblin running around doing stuff.
2: I never would have compared those two characters. Also,
1: one of them's a person.
2: Yeah, she's kind of playing a character.
1: I mean, who? I mean, but who else on Enterprise writes poetry?
2: Hmm.
1: I mean, Picard obviously (laughs) has his hobbies,
2: for sure. Wharf might.
1: That's why it's so... Yeah, well, (laughs) he reads poetry. We know that. (laughs) You sure
2: Soman isn't the (laughs) wharf? Listen, she might be. (laughs) He's kind of a goblin.
1: I do feel like if she couldn't get a door open, it'd be pretty tough for her. She'd be pretty frustrated by that.
2: Uh, They cover some ground here. I gave it a six.
1: Uh, We agree. I'm a six also. Yeah. (sighs) If they'd played I,
2: some of these out to the end, they might have got more points. But
1: There were more points here for sure. I don't think we ever really understand what's keeping Riker from taking a command. He says a lot of stuff. I don't know what... But also, also is. it seems like he doesn't either. Yeah. So, maybe that's fine. Picard is weirdly hands-off in this episode. Like... He is not in some briefings that he normally would attend. He leaves a lot of it. To plot Riker. Yeah, exactly right? right. It's so Riker and Shelby can rub rub each other the wrong way. Yep. But it it is weird that it's like hey, we're hey, it's big it's like the biggest shit, man. The whole Federation's at stake and Picard's just in his ready room.
2: Yeah, I guess we have to just guess on behalf of the writers that he's involved in some high level strategic conversations or something. Yep. That he's talking with it's, JB, his buddy.
1: Exactly. But but it, no, it's never said. No, but you're right. We can do <laughs> that math. Uh, Wesley's uniform may be red, but when the shit hits the fan, he's in engineering. He's part of the crack engineering team. They know what his skills really are. Exactly. Also, why did they give him a red uniform? And some old dude is in his chair on the bridge. That's right. He really should be down there with Jordy, with his friend Jordy, who he sometimes doesn't like. <laughs> They're frenemies. Uh, and, uh, Troy helps Riker transition to his new role with her little intercession when he tries to lead the away team.
2: Yeah. Maybe she's just sick of him being so weird about Shelby.
1: Oh, probably. She can feel all of that shit, right? Yeah. All of his complicated emotions about Shelby.
2: Because he wants to rub her. Because right. I
1: assume he also... Yeah, yeah he right wants way. to
2: rub her the right way. I almost said it earlier what? when you said they each her the <laughs> wrong way. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Because that's not the way Riker wants to rub her.
1: No um yeah so it's a six for me uh it's a six for ben uh Riker doesn't have his confidence back from haven what he doesn't say haven but that's when he lost okay
2: it. but he he had it
1: recently because
2: because because of troy stuff didn't he have it again recently
1: yeah but i don't know something must have happened yeah. when did he lose it again i don't know i
2: don't know what happened last time <laughs> it's been too long since we did the spot
1: uh oh he got it back uh, with his big win in the bars on wormhole episode right yeah the price um Geordie backs Riker in the contest of wills no he got he, it back in right. menage Troy anyway a menage a Troy that's right uh Ben says he wants a best friend like Jordy. <laughs> uh I guess this is the point hey Ryan if you listen this deep in the episode uh please tweet us with the code word uh ouch okay <laughs> Uh, he seems like he'd be a hell of a guy to hang out with. Plus, he'd never have to be jealous of his success with the ladies.
2: So, you're taking this as a, a personal I slight? Because that last part makes it seem like he's giving you a compliment about being a success with the ladies.
1: Because Oh, no, no. He wants but, uh, a friend. Ben's, Ben's BFF is Ryan.
2: Oh, oh, wait. So, he's saying Ryan has success with the ladies. Yeah,
1: that's why I said Ryan, if you listen this deep in the episode, please tweet us with I me. got you. I thought you said Ben. My yeah. mistake. Okay. <clears throat> I'm on it. Uh... Riker needs an ego boost and goes for a Counselor Troy psychology booty call. And then he mentions the best moment. Mm. He is a Borg. It seemed like Worf was going to cry. Yeah, for sure. He is a Borg. Worf took that real hard.
2: Well, he ran into that force field. He was so close.
1: He could barely get that out.
2: Poor Worf.
1: (sighs) Quick hitters. Yeah. Uh, Ben says that poker table is stupid small because of the needs of cinematography. It is small. It's also fun because this show was shot before poker became a televised yeah. sport that they used those plastic bicycle poker <laughs> chips and they just spray painted them gold and silver. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it'd Like be Enterprise much, doesn't have custom poker chips. It'd be right?
2: much easier now to get some good looking poker stuff on the internet exactly.
1: or whatever. Uh, I have some quick hitters. Do it. If that's the center of New Providence Colony, why is it right at the edge of that crater?
0: <laughs> yep.
1: It's just like, it's just, even the part that's not a crater is just rocks and stuff. Uh, seems like you beat them right to the outskirts of town.
2: Yeah, a lot of the town is just a nature preserve, turns yeah, out. Yeah, I guess so. Uh,
1: oh, regarding Admiral Hansen, just an old man's gross, <sighs> unnecessary, irrelevant to the plot fantasies.
2: Yeah, it turns out we didn't make that much progress between TOS and TNG.
1: Yeah. It really is a very TOS moment where he. T- I got a- Hanson's talking too much about Shelby and Picard says, you seem pretty taken with her. And he's like, just an old man's fantasies. Mm. And uh, I go, Ugh.
2: I got a good note about that when I get to my quick hitters.
1: Um, oh. In DS9, if this had been a DS9 episode, this early part of the episode before the Borg gets serious would be four different stories. So <laughs> it's nice to see everyone focused on Riker's career here. That's at true. The top. So, yeah, like give it's it some just focus. one thing before the Borg come in. It's not what's Dax up to, what's Bashir up to.
2: Yeah, maybe Cisco's. What's O'Brien doing? Maybe Cisco's just working on a new hobby. Yeah, Who knows? Exactly.
1: Hey, the poker game starts at 5 p.m.
2: Yeah, when does their shift get off? I don't know what any of the shifts are. Yeah. It's like Is the time because... when Picard said he'd relieve him at 0, 0300 hours, and we went,
1: 0300? Oh, <laughs> anyway, the poker game time. starts at 1700 hours. Yeah. So I wondered if that was because Riker was inviting Wesley this time, and uh, he has a early wharf enforced bedtime. <laughs> it could be. <laughs>
2: wharf strict about that.
1: Everyone, when they beam down to the planet, has their phaser on their left hip, except Geordi. He's got his on his right hip, so he can lean on the butt like a gunslinger. Yeah, he does. He's the only one who's doing a little acting touch down there.
2: Oh, I have another. I actually have an acting touch from that scene too. I can't wait for my quick hitters.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's good. It's exciting. <laughs> yeah, Riker liked that he was impatient and took risks. Yeah, like. Maybe not being afraid to take risks, but he liked that he was impatient. Yes. That's not the guy who handled the portal of the Takan Empire. Yeah. Portal
2: Guard. I have read books. <laughs> Perhaps you'd like I'm to hear extremely some. Extremely
1: chill and I know about strategy.
2: <laughs> Season one, dude. They didn't know who they were working with. They figured it out pretty no. quick that they were working with Franks.
1: Uh they need to cut it out with Jordy and the engineering door it never looks cool oh man in this one they they don't know how to film that indiana jones shit Shh. where he rolls under the door in a way that looks cool and they try it more than once for
2: one thing in this one he waits like three beats too long waving his arm when no one is coming clearly and then yeah, he does a shoulder roll well before he has to
1: waving for no one and then at the last and then yeah exactly
2: you could still have just kind of like crouched a little and gotten under just okay
1: and then the director must have been like, whatever.
2: Who cares? We're probably not even going to put this in the episode. He didn't know the editor was going to leave that in.
1: <laughs> hey, this nebula yeah. is 82% dilithium hydroxyls. Mm. Why isn't it being strip-mined?
2: I was going to say, get your bizarre, bizarre collectors. What are those things called? B- yeah, buzzard collectors. Get those ready. I feel like I scoop some of that stuff up. Is that how those work?
1: I don't fucking care. Um... Does ten forward close at night? Like we've seen it empty before mm-hmm. with Q. But like what about people who work different shifts? Maybe during Why would it
2: close at night? Maybe during general quarters? Maybe it is it maybe it's a red close alert for thing? cleaning. Maybe at red alert no one's position is to go to ten forward. Well,
1: no one's general quarter is ten forward for sure. Yeah. But yeah. Uh they did a little continuity boo boo. Shelby's wearing full commander's pips in the transporter room before she beams over to the Borg ship. But when she's there, she's a lieutenant commander. How do
2: you mess that up? I don't understand how you mess that up. Like, yeah.
1: Anyway, it happens all the The time. The costume department doesn't care. Yeah, clearly. obviously. Uh, And then I mentioned that I I always remember the way Worf says he is a Borg. Mm. It's such a nothing line and he gets so much emotion packed into it.
2: That's true. He did a good job.
1: I gave best actor to Picard and worst to Shelby. Uh,
2: what are your quick hitters? My acting touch when they go down to the planet. Worf puts his phaser away when they see that the, there's a huge crater there. It, just like he's going, I, I look silly carrying this little thing now. <laughs> like, what am I going to do? Shoot the
1: crater? The
2: way he puts it away is like, oh, never mind.
1: Weird. Uh, talking about two different scenes. Oh, you're talking about you're when You're talking he... about the first scene ah. I'm talking about when, when he beams down. aired. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. Okay. Um, here's my note about Hanson. Marjan was so impressed by J.P. Hanson's great mentorship of a woman in the fleet until he, one second <laughs> later, talked about an old man's fantasy of fucking her.
1: Oh, this was her Chili's moment. It was really hilarious.
2: She was like... Oh yeah, I'm really. That's yeah, great that he's like actually mentoring a woman and like giving her position of authority in the fleet. And then he goes, "Just an old man's fantasy," and she goes, "Oh
1: come on!" <laughs> oh, that's exactly what happened to Katie. Oh, really? With, with uh, yeah, uh, uh, space 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 commander Domingo is right. calling, <laughs> oh, and she's we'll like, "Oh, all right." All right. All right. Is in the city, Tell him that's he'll not get that. his <laughs> chilies. Tell Jose he'll get his <laughs> chilies. Prime Mexican reds, and I picked them myself. <laughs> and Katie just went, "Oh." <laughs> Like, it just deflated her.
2: Oh, shit. I felt so bad for Marjan because I knew it was coming. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I put my hand up like, wait a second.
1: <laughs> yeah, hold on.
2: Just TV writers, fantasy. give it a minute. It was like, oh, just seeing it all come <laughs> down in front of her. <laughs> yeah. Um. Hey, does Riker show up to the transporter room late on purpose? He walks in and before the doors have closed, he accuses Shelby and Data of being late bro, you literally just walked in. Oh, yeah, that's like, a good point. You are you are still walking in as you are saying this. How are you yeah, mad at it, them?
1: It definitely seemed like he was excited to score a point.
2: Yes, he wanted her to get nailed for being late. He's like, if I show up and no one's in there, that means she's late because I'm late. How petty is this dude? Um, Sort of some kind of like weird reverse foreshadowing. Picard says the Enterprise will go on just fine without Riker since oh, right. soon Riker's going to have to figure out how to get by without Picard. Exactly. He says the Enterprise will go on just fine without you. Um... What is the Borg plan for cutting into the engineering section? They hadn't even kidnapped Picard yet. <laughs> Very true. What if they blew up the ship? That's where the warp core is. It seems silly. Uh, yeah. They could just drain the shields at will. Like...
1: Yeah, like it was a distraction or something. It's
2: very strange. Um,
1: shoot him a little too. <laughs> Just shoot him while
2: you're at it. Why not adopt Shelby's plan and leave the saucer in that nebula filled with all the uh, families?
1: You know what it probably is? Is they probably assimilated like five Rikers from the USS Lalo, and now they're a little. They're, <laughs> they're a little shooter.
2: They're slightly dumber.
1: <laughs> yeah, the 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 local hive mind got a little bit. Runcury. We shouldn't
2: have taken these guys. I feel dumber. <laughs> But you know what I mean? Like, why not adopt her plan and leave the saucer in that nebula, filled with all the families, and then they won't get chased. The Enterprise will fly out, they'll chase that, and then those guys can go wherever they want.
1: Yeah, except they can't, they don't have warp drive.
2: Yeah, who cares? Yeah, alright. I mean, someone will pick them up, or won't. But Yeah,
1: like, that's true.
2: He Even still, he won't do it. I don't know what he thinks he's saving, like, what's he gonna do with all these no, families?
1: No, the, they want the kids to die with them. I can't think they do. <laughs>
2: Um, hey, why did the Borg tuck away that uniform in that drawer?
1: What are they going to do with <laughs> this that? A, this is a weird souvenir
2: to keep on. Huh? What are they going to do with it? Are they going to put it over his tubes?
1: Take, take off your uniform. Look, he looks... Now fold it up. <laughs> fold it up.
2: Is that where uniforms go? Is They'll that just where uniforms over a chair? go? Do they go on the floor? <laughs> I tell you this every day. Where does the uniform go? You act like a kid. I'm going to treat you like a kid.
1: That drawer automatically opened for you. Put it in the drawer. <laughs> It's like,
2: I don't know what they're doing with it. how <laughs> <It's> our uniforms go. <laughs> like, uh, uh, was the plan originally to put it on again over all the tubes and then it didn't fit?
1: Yeah, a real good question.
2: Look, he's still the captain. Look, it's, he looks just like he did before we grabbed him. What do you mean? What about the laser eye? No, that's your captain. Look, he's wearing the uniform and everything. Anyway, it's very odd. Um,
1: yeah, that'll do it for me. <laughs> all right. Well... <clears throat> Uh, four down, one to go. Uh, last week's winner was Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Uh, with the Way of the Warrior two parter.
2: That was a beefy one. That one
1: almost broke me. <laughs> it was long. When I had to take it was those long. 10
2: pages of notes on Star Trek. And I went, what am I doing?
1: Uh, well, luckily, this one's a time travel episode. This week we watched The Visitor.
2: wrong that the clip you're playing sounds way like muddier. Yeah. They muddied it up. Uh, we open up on um, my best boy, TT. That's Tony Todd,
1: If for anyone who's not aware. Um, Kern slash Candyman slash the guy from The Rock. Uh, from The Rock. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it, uh, one of his more minor roles that I love. I love it very much because he says,
2: I want my fucking money! And he says it in a way that only Tony Todd could say it.
1: Also, he doesn't listen to Elton John because he do not listen to no soft ass yeah.
2: shit. I don't like soft ass shit. Oh, that's funny because uh, you're him. That's, that's you're, you're the Rocket you're Man. The Rocket Man. <laughs> what a movie. Um, anyway, it's TT. He's, Whoa, Mac. <laughs> he's an old person makeup. Somewhat more credible than the Jameson style we sometimes see, but not amazing. It's still not great. Um, and he's
1: in it a lot.
2: This week. He's in a house uh, in the bayou, and it's raining like crazy, and a young lady knocks on the door, and he lets her in, and she says she's looking for Jake Sisko, the author. Oh, shit. This is Jake here. This TT's Jake.
1: Yeah, Jake somehow really beefs up. (laughs) He becomes a whole
2: bigger, deeper-voiced man. He becomes a real Tony Todd man.
1: It's a real... Uh, q makes wesley a grown man and you're like but why would he look like that He doesn't
2: look anything like he does now
1: i believe that jake Sisko might get as tall as tony todd but, uh, <laughs> but the rest they have it. very different frames yes i'm sure when tony todd was 17 he didn't look like that no
2: way uh anyway so yeah there's some kind of time jump uh she wants to be an author and idolizes this dude because of his great book anselm uh she's a stalker i guess she she found his She weird definitely
1: house. walked beamed somewhere else and walked through the bayou to get to his house. So
2: anyway, she's here to ask him the very important question. Why did you stop writing so long ago? He says it's a long story, and she says she has time. Now, this could have gone a very Stephen King direction at this point, but thank God it does not, because she could have done horrible things to him. Um He says, on today of all days. He feels it's right. He finally tells this story, flashback time, the story of his father dying credits.
1: Yeah. And we know that guy, so we care. That's right.
2: This is a very atypical Trek episode, so there's actually no reason to say more than this. Sisko gets eaten up on the Defiant by a weird phenomenon. A thing blasts him, and he disappears. And then we get flashbacks of Jake's life as he becomes a writer, gets married, things change in the Federation, etc. But all the while, he's connected to his supposedly dead dad in some kind of cosmic tether or something. Cisco just, like, appears to him every once in a while like a ghost.
1: On a schedule that they eventually can figure out.
2: Yeah, once he realizes they're connected that the two of them are connected, it becomes his life's work to find a way to bring his father back. He gives up on writing, loses his marriage, goes and meets up with his old pal Nog, and they get the whole gang back together to recreate the accident. All kinds of shit. Anyway, today's the day he's gonna try his one last strategy. He's an old-ass man now, and this will be his last shot. So when his dad appears on this schedule, he's gonna kill himself and break the tether, which he hopes will send Sisko back to the moment he got eight on the Defiant all those years ago. Uh, His dad appears, they have some nice moments, and then he does it, he does the deed, and it works. And Sisko goes back to the beginning on the Defiant. So now we can actually talk about this episode. What was this one about?
1: Uh, Let's start with Ben. He says uh, that the take is, don't let life pass you by, honor the past by not living in it.
2: Yeah, there's a couple of things that are said in this episode that support that. Where
1: this is, uh, These are messages that we primarily get from Cisco during his appearances, where he's like, quit worrying about me. Yeah. I want to know about you and your life. I'm sorry that you broke up with your wife, et cetera. Et I mean, cetera, he even
2: right? straight says it in the first scene where he tells Jake that if he doesn't pop up and appreciate life or whatever, it'll pass him by. And then he says the same right. thing to the girl.
1: So... I definitely understand that that is an undercurrent running through the story, but I think that the story disproves that idea. So, (laughs) my my takeaway from this episode is that uh, life lived in service of others isn't wasted. Yeah, like Jake uh, Cisco keeps telling him to forget him and live his life, but a. Jake succeeds in the end.
2: Yes. By purposely not living his life, he he wins the day.
1: Uh, <clears throat> B, he finds time in there to write a whole batch of new stories, right? Mm. So it's not like that part of his life even really ended. Yeah. And C, really all he does is he has a midlife career change where he goes back to school, gets a PhD. Yeah probably does a lot of important theoretical work because it seems like he's inventing all this new stuff.
2: Well, I think he's the only one studying this, so yes, it could be.
1: Right. <clears throat> so it's like, it doesn't really, like, I get that his marriage didn't work out. Yeah. And yes, for a while but, he didn't write. And for a while he didn't write. But it doesn't really feel like a wasted life to me. Even And even if his shit hadn't succeeded with his dad, well, the suicide would have been a mistake. <laughs> yeah. But like it still doesn't really seem like a wasted life. And if he had taken Cisco's advice, he would have just still been doing what his dad wanted for him instead of what he wanted. Yeah. So I think it's, you know, it's okay to devote yourself to others. And um, that's a five for me. Okay. I like your take more
2: than mine. Mine was, there's a special connection between father and son. Sometimes literally.
1: Yeah, it's unfortunate that they... While it is true that Cisco and Jake are unusually close and always in each other's business on Deep Space Nine, Mm -hmm. they never—the show never explores exact the the fact that that is because of their loss of the mother, yeah, and that it's actually they're both kind of damaged in that way, yeah, and that that's sort of what's unhealthy with his obsession with his father, yes, is that it? It's not that their relationship is. That it was a, you know, a, maybe it is genuine, but a, a lot of it is, it was inspired by a bad shared place trauma. they just, yes, yeah, just shared trauma,
2: right? Yeah. Uh, I put also Field of Dreams in Space, which is why this episode always gets me.
1: Oh, for sure. <laughs> this, is a, uh, real, uh, this is a real, this is a real heart wrencher. It probably wouldn't have worked if it hadn't been Tony Todd. Everyone loves Tony Todd. God, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, it's a weird little episode of of deep space nine but it's a for sure is a fan favorite yeah and uh and it's because it mostly works right
2: yeah i mean look not everybody gets along with their dad but this could be affecting for somebody who didn't get along with their father and feels like and they missed that did. as much as somebody who misses right. their father who's gone or something like that right yeah but it ain't got any heat as a take my no. my take my take is <laughs> no a f- it's true my takes a four i actually like your take better um i won't borrow it because i like having both um execution though yeah just like i can't explain why field of dreams makes me cry
1: yeah because you did have lots of catches with your dad me
2: and my dad always got along so i yeah, so i don't not a problem. i don't know he's not he's also not technically dead that's true. Specify. Just want to underline. You don't,
1: that. We, we don't have catches with him anymore, but he is yeah. still alive. Right.
2: So I can't. I've never been able to explain why, in the end, when he's having a catch with his dad, I have to cry. But um, I. So similarly, I can't explain my special affection for this episode. But I, I will try. There's something very real about the way Jake can't even speak when Cisco asks him if he's okay when he appears in, and he's briefly in sick bay the first time he comes back. Yeah. And.
1: Sir- also, Jake didn't eulogize him,
2: right? Yes. Like, yeah. Like, Sirach Lofton is not a good actor, but he fucking gives it a go. Yeah. And for a young actor, like, I, I look at this episode and I go, huh, oh, why is he trying? Like, I think he was as into this father-son stuff as much as Avery Brooks was.
1: I think so. Like, he's... He is always just saying the lines in scenes with Nog. Yes. But sometimes in scenes with... uh. With Avery Brooks, he's acting. And, and by the way, that's what Nog said about that one scene with Avery Brooks. Yeah. So it, it makes sense, right?
2: Um, and, you know, despite Sisko imploring him, he puts the things that he's passionate about in his life on hold to try to get him back. That we have one, like an episode of Star Trek based in real emotion is very rare. And outside of TNG, it's basically unheard it's of. It's extremely rare. Yeah. I mean, there's like Kirk Spock stuff in the movies that works on a few levels. And we've already discussed some of the things in TNG, like famously the scene after Yar dies in the conference room and how real everybody's emotions seem. But it's yeah. it's really rare. Um, And for me, even though he isn't in it very much, this is a Cisco episode.
1: Yeah, it's true. It is weird. He shows up a few times and does big dad acting. This is like the sweetest,
2: most selfless single dad Cisco will ever see. He doesn't care right. at all about getting his own life back. And even though he only seems to exist when he's with Jake. So we're talking seconds at a
1: time. Yeah, this has been this is like he spent uh, f- uh, 10 minutes living this weird life yeah like the whole thing is boiled down to 10 minutes and then he's got jake back and just and who knows what he does with all this by the way and he immediately
2: given that this is all happening in real time for him in a matter of seconds and minutes he immediately gives up on himself and begs jake to focus on the things he cares about to focus on his family and lastly to keep living
1: yeah he immediately can see that jake is in a tremendous amount of pain
2: yes Yeah. And this always really struck me as either very unrealistic because he should be crazy confused and distraught as he lives his life in fits and starts in seconds at a time compared to Jake's years or as a display of Cisco's greatest attributes and Avery Brooks's greatest hopes for the show, his special love for Jake as a single father out here in this space war.
1: Yep. Just, hey, just being a great example of positive brown father relationships, right?
2: Yeah. Um, so all of that stuff really, really, really works for me. It's kind of a hacky setup. It's extremely hacky. But but shit, man, if you've decided to go flashback story, you've already seeded quality episode structure. Is there a good way to do that? You're showing old man Jake and he's got to do his flashbacks?
1: No, of course not.
2: Uh, I was also enjoying the incidental music in this one. Oddly emotional score for Star Trek. I already said uh, c Lofton really gives it a go in this one. Tony Todd crushes the more emotional scenes. Um, and Avery Brooks is always at his best when he's being single dad. This guest actress didn't kill it, but it's kind of a weird role.
1: Uh, you mean Garrick's daughter? Oh, is that who that is? Andrew Robinson's daughter? I did not know that. Yeah, it doesn't seem old enough to have an adult daughter, but he is.
2: Uh, we didn't need the getting the gang back together stuff and the old person makeup I mean no that was the worst all. part of the episode for sure
1: it was so bad and hard to watch we brought the defiant out of mothballs and all the old crews there yeah.
2: but um I gave it an eight I feel like it's it's an episode that hits a lot of really emotional beats which is just so
1: rare for Star Trek this is um this is probably where we differ on this episode okay uh. I gave it a five. Mm -hmm. Like you, I don't love all the framing devices here. Yes. This is the J.D. Salinger interview and the constant narration and constant time jumps. But like you, I don't think there's any other way to do this story. So if you're going to tell the story, you're probably committed to that stuff.
2: Yeah. The structure, I think they were stuck. They could have... Fix the you dialogue. You maybe don't
1: need a little girl who shows up and says, "Why did you stop writing?" Yes, they- <laughs> and then he says, "Well, because it's a special day. I'll tell you." This
2: is why I wrote my intro the way I did, where it's literally yeah. he's just like, "Well, this is a very special day. On today of all days, I'll tell you my big story." <laughs> it's like, okay,
1: yeah. um The old age makeup, as you said, sucks, yeah. and there's a lot of it.
2: Yes, because they have to age n.
1: We have to see. Not only do they have to, but Tony Todd. We see Tony Todd at three different ages, but we they also have. We get to see old Dax Ugh. and old Bashir riding again. Ugh. So that's not great.
2: Were they just contractually um, obligated to appear in a certain number of episodes? I'm just trying to figure out. None of that had to be in there.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I I just don't know. Like they. It, well, first of all, then the only characters in the show that would be in the episode where Cisco in three minutes yeah. and the rest is Tony Todd talking to a little girl.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, you get some Kira stuff in the just after Cisco died days.
1: Yes, that's true. Um, and in fact, there's, there's it's a good scene and it's a, something that you'd want to see yeah. in that part is when she's trying to tell him to leave Deep space nine and live his life. And he doesn't want to, right? Yeah. Um. At the end of the day, Nothing that happens in the framing story ends up happening. It all gets undone. Yes. Right. We don't know that Jake's going to go on and do that stuff. Yes. There's Absolutely no reason to believe he's going to end up living in the bayou. Who knows if that girl's alive. Yes. In this These are timeline.
2: all a result of the Cisco dying.
1: Right. Uh, so that is always unsatisfying. However, all that stuff kind of felt real. Like they didn't invent some new shit for Jake. Yeah. She wasn't like, are you the great jazz saxophonist, Jake Sisko? And then you'd be like, wait, hold on. He was, was yeah. going to be a writer. That was his
2: deal. After my father died, I took up his secret hobby, jazz saxophone.
1: That's right. Yeah. No one knew about it. He called himself Duke Silver. Yeah, right. Um, so that's a little unsatisfying. But uh, obviously, Avery Brooks gets a lot of dad acting to do. Tony Todd gets to cry a lot. Yeah. The episode basically works. That's why I gave it a five
2: uh ben gave it a five as well he says is old jake diabetic or did he just kill himself with that hypo spray
1: we remember at the end you know which one it is yes. by the way that it that's super unsatisfying too that he has he's p- chosen to take his life with some sort of injection that he gives himself like a full day before it's time to die yeah he's, he really is extremely certain on the timing for he, that thing. he's got it fully mapped out he knows exactly when Cisco's going to appear, and he knows exactly how long that poison's going to take to kill him.
2: Also, what I, I don't know, it could be a problem or it could not, because the story doesn't really care about the technical aspects of it. But he, does he ever explain why he has come to the conclusion that killing himself will break the tether? No. In the end, just, this
1: time he's sure he's right. Yeah,
2: he's like, I, when I kill myself right at the right moment, if I do it at the right time, then it'll, he'll go back to the original Defiant, and it'll, he'll have a because chance to avoid the accident.
1: Because it's it's like we're being pulled. It's like when he's pulled taut, then he comes to me, and if I cut the cord, then then he'll go back in time. But it's like, wait, isn't that when there's the least tension <laughs> just... in the thing? Like, why would he go anywhere? Yeah, I like I could see you think that if you kill yourself, then he'll stay in your little house. Then that'll be <laughs> yeah, that. right.
2: He'll be right that here forever. That would make more sense, maybe. Yeah, that'd be really weird. anyway yeah so it's not the episode is not concerned with that stuff at all and so he just says it he just goes i if i kill myself he'll go back
1: oh and also here's a big third rail uh when jake had the defiant why didn't he just say all right new plan we're doing a slingshot (laughs) i'm going back in time like well everyone knows how to go back in time as you
2: said it is the continuing third rail of star trek that they often forget things that would be very helpful
1: Okay, there's only eight or nine different ways to go back in time. Look, and dude,
2: they could have just gotten Cisco's pattern the last time he was transported and just beamed yes, him up. Exactly,
1: there. exactly. Fuck you, Star See, Trek. This
2: is what. Yeah, you. Those questions really are third rails because Star Trek invents lots of things that then would break the show, and then you're just supposed to forget about them.
1: Yeah, they could have just literally from the last time Cisco beamed, and Again, maybe he walked onto the Defiant, so it's a couple of days old. Right. But there's gonna be one.
2: Again, they have cured death. Yeah. But they don't remember.
1: <laughs> Death should not be possible. Yep. Everyone should get a transporter scan every two weeks whether <laughs> they want it or not. That's
2: right. That way if you die, we'll just beam up a new you. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, oh, sorry. So I was still doing execution for Ben. Uh, again, he gave it a oh, five. Yeah. Um, uh, they don't give that nice young lady a name or is that a reveal too? Uh, uh, hold on. I've got it somewhere. He, she does She does have a name. I don't remember. It's a
1: normal ass name, though. Um, the Bajorans, like, it's not crystal, but let's say it's crystal. He
2: he points out the Bajorans theoretically lost confidence in the Federation, so they sided with the Cardassians against the Klingons or something.
1: They sign a mutual defense,
2: yeah. pact or something with the Cardassians. But of course, none of that ever actually happens. Um, because he fixes the whole thing. Um. Uh, the lady's not important enough to discuss. The take is undercut by the fact that Jake ends up being right and that he really should have dedicated his life to subspace science, etc. Yeah, that was what we were saying earlier. So, yeah, five for Ben.
1: Uh, what about world building? Yeah, uh, so standard three. It's So world building's going to be tough in this one because a lot of it's what-ifs.
2: Yeah, I don't know how to rate a lot of it.
1: Um, the episode suggests that Cisco... And his religious status as the emissary is at least partly holding together the Federation Bajor Alliance. Yeah. It also suggests that there doesn't have to be a war with the Dominion. Well, that certainly never comes up in his story. I mean, they they take a ship through the wormhole to see how the Dominion would respond after 20 years of leaving it the fuck alone, presumably because the Klingons were there? I guess. Um, but I can't give a lot of credit to that. Yeah. Uh, hey, the French Quarter survives into the 24th century. Mm-hmm. The Bayou has been preserved, even with weather controls and everything. Um, Cisco's dad has a restaurant. It's just little stuff this week, but I gave it the standard three.
2: Yeah, I couldn't rate. <clears throat> I couldn't rate it that high because a lot of the stuff is presumed, and is yeah. not actually real. Um, so like the wormhole subspace inversion. The, the BS cosmic tether between them and the explanation for why dying will bring his dad back. Everything else that happens after the accident is in a weird maybe universe. Yep. So like anything not based on like scientific facts of the galaxy is hard to rate. Um, Like you said, it does imply Cisco's relationship is important enough on Bajor that losing him means would alter the course of events yeah ultimately i gave it a one i didn't think it was concerned with world building
1: yeah i mean it really isn't like like you said this is field of dreams yes he has to
2: build it so his dad will come or whatever yeah um ben gave it a three says warp energy can vaporize your ass wormhole inversions he says there are black bajorans. Suddenly, we've already seen some of those. Actually, so, absolutely not. Suddenly,
1: um, interesting future. He, he forgets one of Jake's early girlfriends. Yeah,
2: interesting future uniforms. This should count since it's the actual future. Well, no, it's not.
1: By the way, of course, it's as usual. It sucks that Tony Todd's wife had to be black. It's you. It's, it's just every single time.
2: Yeah, they really don't. miss They could a not chance. show an
1: interracial couple. It would be. I remember like eventually Worf is going to date a couple of white ladies, but it's all alien stuff. So don't think about it. I
2: remember when Cisco was macking on that scientist's wife Uh and she was black, but you looked it up and found out she was only a quarter black and we were almost satisfied. That's almost almost like they really that's more than they normally do. But she was (laughs) still she still she still looked black enough. You know what I mean? You know what I
1: mean? Uh, it's not something that watching Star Trek <laughs> i had ever noticed before, but as soon as we saw Tuvok's wife, <laughs> well, I was like, okay. of course. So, we'd only ever seen one Black Vulcan until now. But... Uh, but he fa- uh, he married another he one. He married
2: another one, of course. Now... He's allowed of course, to. He may if he wants,
1: you, but... That's fine. And also, in-universe, we know that Vulcans are betrothed early and probably to their next-door neighbors, so... I'm
2: just... It's the fact that they are so afraid to show an interracial I, relationship it is
1: wild. And it's just... It's, it's it's nothing in universe. It's just you know behind the scenes that when the casting call went out, it was for a black actress. Yep. To play Tony. Tal's oh, wife.
2: for sure. Um. Anyway, future uniforms—they don't count. It's not the actual future. I mean, it is, but it doesn't exist anymore. So it's just the
1: all good things, which by the way also doesn't count. Yeah, it's just a possible future that now is right. not valid. Um. Yeah, I don't think uh when Ben when Ben claimed that one, I'm not sure he remembered that we we will have seen these uniforms already. Yes. Yeah.
2: Um, and then flipping around he gave it a three in characterization he said old man Jake doesn't seem to bear any resemblance <laughs> to young Jake yep yeah he means character wise but even in other ways um, so we have to be told about his experiences early in life to connect it Nog is a smaller sized Frankie. aren't they all supposed to be kind of diminutive
1: none of them are big but Nog is seems especially small and uh, now he's a commander like who's the biggest one is Brunt right could be Was Brunt the biggest Ferengi we've seen so far.
2: Uh, so far, yeah, probably. Uh, and then he says, at least I'd say this is suggesting Nog has good officer material because he's a commander uh, in this yeah. possible future. He, he he says Jake still holds well, a torch. He's f-
1: gonna be he's gonna be one of these guys who's all in on the Federation, right? Because he chose it as an adult. Yes, Federation for him is gonna be like being born again. <laughs> so he's gonna really believe in uh, all. these like in a way that people who grew up in the Federation don't?
2: You mean like Chakotay? Yeah, kind of. Because he chose it. Yeah, it's his life. Uh, he says Jake still holds a torch for Akira because he married a Bajoran lady in this.
1: Um, I mean, all of Jake... Jake's entire teenager years were around Bajoran girls. It's fully unsurprising yeah. that he'd marry a Bajoran woman. Um, that was his whole adolescence.
2: I covered a lot of characterization in my execution. I'll just say Jake's still very serious about being an author. Um. This is kind of like world building where some of this stuff is only possible, a possible future now. Right. Um, but all the Cisco stuff holds. That's all real. He even remembers it when he goes back. Um, uh, boy. Um. Yeah, I already said everything. I gave it a nine.
1: That's It's, it's Ooh, mostly wow.
2: character work, and it, uh, to me it all lands as character work.
1: Oh, boy. See, I only gave it a four.
2: Because you can't count all of yeah. Jake's experiences. That's, that's yeah, to me. It's a Cisco episode.
1: So much of it doesn't count. Yes. Yeah, Cisco's great. Yeah. Um, Jake loves his daddy. He loves writing and maybe he's developed real taste for Bajoran women. because <laughs> He did not have a girlfriend when he left deep space nine. As far nope. as we know, he found a Bajoran woman on earth. Yeah, maybe, Maybe, who knows? Yeah. Um, Cisco doesn't want him to waste his life and all that other stuff. Um, but yeah, a lot, so much of it doesn't count is the trouble, but, so yeah, this is oh, man, we had. There's some distance between us on this mm-hmm. one. That's that's kind of exciting. That doesn't happen that often. Uh I do have some quick hitters. Do it. Um, before I looked her up uh, and discovered that she was Andrew Robinson's daughter, I said, "This girl has Rom face."
2: <laughs> Ouch! That can't be a compliment.
1: Eh.
2: I don't think of Rom as
1: he's like a sweet doofus traditionally handsome um someone wrote a biography about an author who wrote one novel Mm -hmm. anselm must have been a pretty big hit
2: yeah well that's what i'm saying that's why i said it in the in my introduction his great his great novel anselm that made this lady fucking lose her mind
1: is jake already 18 in season four well, maybe.
2: He might have been something like 15 when he... It I don't it remember. It doesn't
1: seem quite right.
2: I know Wesley but... was 15 when the show started. Right. But I don't but know about Jake.
1: I think of Jake as being like 12 at the start of the show. He looked really
2: young. They yeah. didn't know he was going to grow like that, I think.
1: Hey, during the scene where Cisco dies, he asks Jake to find a part, mm. and Jake apparently knows what that part is. Yeah. Why was he shuffling through all those screwdrivers if he was looking for an enormous handle?
2: (laughs) It's a good question.
1: Hmm? When he pulled that tool up from under that dead person, I was like, wait, that's what he was looking for? And also,
2: I have to just say again, like, why don't they have engineers on the Defiant?
1: There should be some.
2: Every time they go on the Defiant, they need engineers and they just never have any.
1: (sighs) It must really shit Quark. That Jake was just allowed to loiter around DS9 for a year while he paid rent.
2: <laughs> right? Yeah, that does seem like the kind of thing Quark would Jake's present.
1: always uh, trying to take Nog away from his job. Yep. And it, Quark's got to be like, you live here for free. <laughs> yep.
2: Yeah, this isn't like Babylon 5 where they still made Sheridan pay rent. Exactly. And he was pissed.
1: Uh, anyone can become an expert in subspace mechanics if they just want it enough.
2: Well.
1: Or at least Jake
2: can. That is what we were told in the 90s.
1: Hey, weirdly I remembered most of this episode. Like, I remembered most of the beats, and I for sure only saw it once.
2: Yeah. um, I was gonna say, you did watch all the DS9s, but you didn't...
1: Yeah, but I watched them when they aired. Yeah, you never did a
2: rewatch, so that was a long fucking time ago. You know,
1: this episode's from...
2: ninety. Five,
1: ninety six? Yeah, ninety-five or ninety-six for sure. Tw- and I remember most of the people. Cool
2: twenty four years ago. <laughs> uh
1: now this girl is probably gonna cease to exist due to time travel nonsense. But if she didn't, this would be a great story for her. Met her hero and he killed himself that day.
2: Yeah. No one will believe her.
1: Yeah. And again, Jake must have been pretty sure about the timing of that poison and the timing of Cisco's appearance. He nailed it, dude. He's a master of subspace mechanics now. Uh, and her name is Melanie. Okay. In this episode. I gave Best Actor to Tony Todd because he can definitely cry on command. TT. And Worst Actor to Commander Nog. Nog did not seem to know how to play adult Nog. Yep. <laughs> He was doing, like, a real gentle voice. Yeah. Like, hey, I can't make my voice any lower in pitch, so instead I'm going to talk, I'm going to be real gentle. I'm just going
2: to try to sound less annoying.
1: I'm just going to be, hey, this is me, I'm a Starfleet, I'm Starfleet Commander Nog, and I'm very This is how
2: I talk to aliens I meet on the view screen.
1: Yeah. I'm Captain Nog. They find that I de-escalate situations. Ah, that's my quick hitters. What have you got?
2: Uh, ben has going right from a season opener war with the Klingons to this. Yes, it is a huge change of tone. We go oh, yeah. straight into this emotional story. Um, he said he likes that old Jake actor.
1: Ooh. Fucking Ben. Doesn't like he doesn't even recognize that it's Kern. That's blowing my
2: mind. For being such a big part of the show, it's been a long time since we learned anything about the wormhole. I mean, yeah,
1: it's doing a new thing in this. Yeah, we. no one has checked in with the wormhole aliens in a bit,
2: huh? He says he thought Kira was going to kiss Jake at the top of that pylon. That would have been a different show.
1: Oh, for real. That's
2: a weird show.
1: <laughs> uh, there, There's no way, though, that that happens where before it happens, Kira doesn't say, Well, here we go. <laughs> I guess we're going to do this. Eh, let's give this a shot
2: Um, I only had one quick hitter because I said the rest of it in all my other stuff but I love TT but he's playing sweet old man when he should be playing gruff old man
1: <coughs> I mean it works better for him I think
2: because he could have said he wanted his fucking money for some reason and that would have been great that's what I want out of TT <laughs> that's it for me
1: hey uh, the numbers are in
2: dude we got it in and out in hella good time
1: this is uh this is our first good week in a bit. Yeah, that's true. We've had a lot of fucking stinkers. Like last week was just above average. Yeah. Um, this week's a little better. Uh, especially for me, I rated it almost as highly as you did, which is rare. Yeah, this
2: was a a nice deep green week for you. Yeah.
1: So uh, last place this week, scoring uh, only fifteen points. TOS the lights of Zatar.
2: Yeah, hey, they fucking suck, huh? This season blows. I mean,
1: they're not they're not in a good run and when you look at what's coming up, yeah. Boy, there's not a lot of potential good ones left. I mean, I only
2: gave it 5.
1: Yeah, you gave it 5 entire. That's points. what I gave let that be your last battlefield. no <laughs> that also was very poor. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in fourth place this week with 30 points, which is right around our average. Our average has come down a little bit. It used to be more like 31, hmm. but now it's more like 30. That's not our fault. Uh, Voyager the Raven. So very average. Yeah, we each gave we it both 15. both gave it 15. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It exactly. suffered in execution,
1: which is pretty common for Voyager. <laughs> that does happen. That does tend to happen. <laughs> Third place this week with 36 points, which is, again, a fair, fair bit above average. Yeah. Enterprise the Council.
2: And we each gave it eighteen. Uh
1: second place this week with thirty nine points, Deep Space Nine the Visitor. This is one uh this was our big difference this week. Yeah. Well, I guess we we were both five apart. I gave Lights of Zatar five more than you, though it still stumped. <laughs> yes. And you gave Deep Space Nine five more than me, although we both agreed it was at least above average. Yeah. Uh the winner this week with forty three points, probably not a surprise. Yeah coming into the week uh the best of both worlds i was a 21 you were a 22 uh um, we'll see if 43 points is a good score it's above the average for a winner
2: see if part two is better or worse because i like to think of them as one story so it's weird to rate them differently but
1: yeah that is uh tng's 27th win yeah which is
2: not bad yeah it's five more than ds9 uh, th-
1: Five above DS9. DS9 had been gaining ground on them for some time, mm-hmm. but TNG's scraped a couple of wins out uh, recently. Seventeen for TOS. Um, it's not yet mathematically locked into third place, but they'd have to win out. Yeah, but to get second,
2: like you said, we know what season three of TOS is. It's uh, <laughs>
1: that's how it's going to go. Yeah. And they're a hundred and almost hundred and forty points behind DS9 in terms of points. So yeah. They have no tiebreakers in this one. Although you still have at one point ahead of Deep Space Nine. Uh, Yeah, but boy, that ain't going to last. It's all it? me. I've made up the difference. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yep, 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 yep.
1: The, uh, and then five for Enterprise 2 for Voyager. So, yeah. Um, <clears throat> boy, Voyager has two wins. TNG has 27. That's the story of this project. Yep, Voyager sucks. Next week, week 74. I mean, next week's a mailbag. But in week 74, we are watching Requiem for Methuselah. All these names are bleeding together. Which one's that? I assume there's an old dude in it. I don't fucking care. And maybe he dies? Good. Mm. I can't wait. Uh, Best of Both Worlds Part 2, of course. Yeah. Uh, Deep Space Nine, Hippocratic Oath.
2: Well, I'm guessing that's the doctor, but I don't care. Yep. That doesn't sound good.
1: Voyager scientific method
2: None of these are inspiring a lot of confidence.
1: And Enterprise Countdown. Uh there are three more episodes this season if it ends with on a cliffhanger with Stormfront Part One. Yeah. At this point I now assume they're all gonna be about this fucking weapon. And it'll just never end. Just never end. That's what you should watch if you're playing along at home. Yeah. Uh, Ryan please remember to tweet the code word if you listened this far. Yes. I guess anyone else can too.
2: Yeah, anyone prove that you've been listening. Um next week as you said is a mailbag. Send us some mail that's at brotherdate on the Twitter machine. Uh if uh Barry has done his work we can do more flag stuff. Uh if not yeah. we'll come up with other stuff. But it'll be mailbag time. Um you can always follow us on our website. That's the com. You can um Send us email, of dot com. You can uh, you can send me a box or something. If you maybe <laughs> you think of something you want to get me, you can get my address offline. Send me some stuff. Um, otherwise, you know, we'll catch you on the flip flip flop. iTunes. Uh, you can get us on the iTunes. You can get us on SoundCloud and Stitcher. And you cannot get us on SoundCloud. I think you can. SoundHound. You can get us on. <laughs> You can get us on YouTube. Yeah, just
1: scream. At, just open up Soundhound and scream. What's that bad podcast? And it'll bring us up. <laughs> get us right on away.
2: YouTube. You could say Alexa, play Brother Date, and she'll play it. Um. So that's all The ways you can find us. Anyway, um, as you believe, so shall you do. So shall you do. As you believe, so shall, so you, shall you, do. you do. I'm Gorgon. You want to stay away from me, Harry? Gosh. Oh jeez, Harry! <laughs> I, I really I
1: like, I really like this Tom Paris. I wish I could have a long-term do.
2: relationship with a girl like Libby. Oh gosh! Ah, Harry. <laughs>